Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the Stacks. We've got a new recording platform that hopefully will be better than the other one, or so help me God. Uh, this is Jay. And I'm Ma Shanna, the rootinest, tootinest, shootinest, uh, <laughs> fucking incestingest, oh, the no, I bloody Shanna. <laughs> <laughs> Bloody Shan is cool. They're both good. They're both good. I don't know what's better. No, Bloody Shan is better. I will never be a mall. Uh, this week we're talking about the true crime <clears throat> true crime film. <laughs> Bloody Mama. You can hear the air quotes. Mm, yeah, you really gotta put them in there. And I mean, actively air quotes at the beginning of the movie itself. Like, you know, based on a true story <laughs> yeah it says any resemblance to any actual people is intentional is what it says which is like yeah i i have the exact uh phrasing any similarity to kate barker and her sons is intentional <laughs> <laughs> so just an intentional similarity we're not telling the real story or anything here we're telling the myth but we're also not changing the names to protect anybody. Of course not. I mean, we're we're on the side of the law here. This is the FBI's version of the story. Where Bob Barker is an evil mastermind who concocted this plan, a multi-generational plan to create a, a bank-robbing gang from her womb that she came up with at 12. Yeah, giving birth to a crime family, which... I mean, come on. <laughs> that, that's the FBI story, and uh, they're rolling with it. They're it, and it's this is a movie that is an exploitation movie that's about exploitation entertainment, and especially true crime. Mm -hmm. it, it kind of reminds me a little bit of Grange, but also a little bit of uh, remember that movie we covered a while back, Stingray. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a stingray energy to it. Uh, this one doesn't quite have the same sort of jokey humor, but it does feel like the sort of thing where at any time someone could raise up from behind a hay bale and make a, like a one-liner based on what's going on. <laughs> Ma Barker loves her sons. <laughs> she sure does. That's a real peppy opening uh, theme song. But before we get the theme song, or actually, I, I didn't mention, uh, 1970, directed by Roger Corman. This is the first time we've done an actual Corman film. He produces a lot of stuff. He hasn't directed much since this, basically. Oh, really? Uh, he did, like, maybe two other films after this. This was sort of near the end of him being a director, and he sort of exclusively moved to producing. Okay. For whatever reason, I don't know. I guess he just got bored of it, but like he made a ton of movies from like the 50s up to this. He's got like a hundred credits and then he just sort of trails off. Hmm. I think the last one he did is Frankenstein Unbound, which is a really weird future based Frankenstein movie from the 90s. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,. Frankenstein lends itself well to uh, future stories, kind of. I mean, Frankenstein is a very adaptable uh, concept. It, it works in so many different ways. I mean, Body Parts was sort of a Frankenstein story, really. Oh, that's true. That's true. 
So this opens prior to the you know note about the resemblance or the song or anything. We have something that I feel is really tone setting with Ma Barker, Kate Barker, as a child, as a 12-year-old, being chased through the woods. By, uh, by these dudes who we find out are her father and brothers. I guess stepfather. It's never directly stated here, but uh, at least in the true story, it was a stepfather she was raised by. Okay. Um, yeah, no, here it's not stated or implied at all. It's like, yeah, we're just going to let you believe that's the dad. Well, especially because he says blood, Kate, is thicker than water uh, when he yeah. is holding her down. Uh, well, the brothers are holding her down for him to sexually assault her. So, I mean, it is establishing an incest theme pre-credits. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and sort of establishing it in her past as sort of a, an, a major trauma. Mm-hmm. Which is sort of interesting because the movie isn't exactly on her side. It is telling the story of her as supervillain, but it it feels like it sympathizes with the plight of uh, the exploited. Anyone who is her true story, we don't really know, but we're doing the exploitation version of it. And we're sympathizing with the real person who probably had a traumatic life and uh, was then killed by police and had this story written about her. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, she she is uh, sexually assaulted by her father and she sort of literally becomes a woman. And it's symbolized by uh, she she stands up and she speaks with Shelley Winter's voice. Yep. <laughs> the old lady voice. Uh, the, the voice of the main character. And she says, I'm going to have me some boys. And ain't any one of them won't kill for me. Mama's boys. <laughs> so from in this version, from the age of 12 or 14 or whatever, she basically plans to uh, create a family of assassins. Yeah. In this version. Yeah, the, the, the concept is she decided that she was going to create a criminal gang by just having a bunch of sons and then uh, uh, using them as her henchmen, which yeah, uh, not really the truth of the matter, I don't think. Yeah, no, I don't think so. No, it, I mean, that doesn't really seem reasonable, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's not something most people think of at 12 in the 1920s or whenever this well no she would have been in the it would have been in the 1800s when she was 12 yeah because it's the 30s when the main action happens although she's not yeah. really supposed to be that old because all the boys are pretty young just yeah. <laughs> fast life yeah. yeah so we get that great opening credit sequence with the song bloody mama by bigfoot <laughs> yeah it's all like banjos and stuff and old uh newspaper articles and pictures of old-timey guns and rifles old, and stuff old, old vintage advertisement for guns and knives that rules mm -hmm. and just the the peppy <laughs> country music playing over it that's a, a song about the movie you know it is bloody mama the song for bloody mama the movie and it's telling her story <laughs> Yep, and it starts out with literally, Ma Barker loved her sons. Yeah, I mean, she really loved them. She really did. <laughs> uh, 
I don't know how much of that is true, um, but the rumors were certainly around. I mean, yeah, it, it is one of those very popular true crime myths, most likely. Uh, there's not really any known evidence to go for it. It's just one of those popular stories that circulates around Ma Barker. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, <laughs> well, it's, it's truth in this movie. Yes, you know, I mean, it is just like a systematic part of her life. Uh, it, it is her using her father's guidance of blood being thicker than water and, you know, creating her empire through this. But <laughs> so we we cut instantly our, our first thing. And it, it's, it's just a blatant, you know, it's mama scrubbing one of her naked boys in a big wash tub. And he's like an adult. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he hates it. Oh, my God. Yeah. He hates it so much. He's a large adult son. I, I think it's <laughs> Freddy at this point. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and and Freddy is the favorite. He's the youngest. Yeah. He, he's like, I don't need a bath, mama. And everyone's like, yeah, you fucking stink. <laughs> In this version, and not quite yet, but he is uh, explicitly a gay character. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yes. I don't know if that's, uh, anything to do with the reality. I don't believe so. I, I, you know, I, I haven't done a whole bunch of extra research into this. I did listen to a third of a podcast on it that I have listened to before. And I remember like, oh yeah, this is completely fictional, this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, None I, of I, listened to, I listened to part one of that episode and I watched this movie and there is zero overlap yeah pretty much none uh it, it's telling the myth and it's telling it very compressed so we have a pretty short length of time where all of this happens whereas you know they were a very successful criminal gang with you know, a whole other uh there, there's like the carpuses who do not exist in this yeah i thought the creepy guy was supposed to be creepy carpus who uh, makes sense later yeah but no he's just no. a creepy guy just you know, he he's just some mass murderer who uh, became Freddy's lover in prison, and then you know, decided to join up. He made Freddy Freddy his prison bitch, and then he became Bob Barker's prison bitch outside of prison. Yeah, well, because I mean, Freddy already belonged to her to begin with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, there was like twenty five people in the actual gang. Oh, yeah, it was a huge gang, and it was, like, supremely successful. I think maybe the most financially successful. It's sort of why all of these myths exist, is because the FBI needed to justify murdering this old lady. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's kind of like the same thing that happened with uh, jo Bo uh, fuck. Bonnie and Clyde and uh, all yeah. the other super criminals of this era. They became larger than life. Yeah, the police worked to mythologize them to make it justifiable the amount of overkill they used against them. Yeah, you don't really see that for criminals at large these days. More like, you do see that for uh, people that they accidentally shoot. Well, you know, if, if someone, like, uh, happens to pull into the wrong driveway, I mean, Ugh. that's when that happens. Or, yeah. you know, if they happen to get into the wrong car by accident, that's usually where those sorts of things happen. Uh, extremely frightened old people who uh, are overarmed are the ones who do that these days rather than uh, the FBI. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they, when Waco happened, it kind of really, really put a stop to this sort of thing. <laughs> Yeah, who that was. Uh, I got to read up on it, on that again, but 
that was a mess. rough. Yeah, I mean, a whole mess altogether. I mean, you know, a, a lot of people at fault there. A, a lot of problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So our our little baby Robert De Niro shows up as Lloyd. Oh my God, I didn't even recognize him at first until like he did the Robert De Niro squinty eye wobbly head thing. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so recognizable, too. He shows up, he's dirty, he's shirtless, and he's bragging not about himself, but about Herman stealing a pie off a windowsill. <laughs> it, it feels like we, we've stepped into an episode of Green Acres. It does, actually. <laughs> uh, I was thinking Beverly Hillbillies. Beverly Hillbillies, yeah, you're right. That That is the better analogy, yes. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen either of those songs. I don't know, shows... I don't oh, know if I have. those analogies are good. <laughs> I absolutely have. I mean, the, the thing is, Green Acres is a city person goes to the country, mm. and Beverly Hillbillies is country people go to the city. I uh, kind of the same premise. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they had a, a pig. They, like, there was a star pig, Arnold, oh. Oh, on sure. Green Acres. Oh, Okay. Uh, Beverly Hillbillies. I don't know. I watched that show a lot. It's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> but see, I, he's he stole a pie, and Mama does not scold them. He's like, "Well, you must have been powerful hungry then." <laughs> <laughs> we we see Dad George standing off to the side, not commenting. <laughs> no. uh, George, they got George right, I think. I think, yeah, George feels the most authentic to the group because the, the sheriff shows up and he wants to talk to George because George is the father. So, you know, this is the authority figure you speak to. <laughs> oh, no, Ma takes care of all the kids. Yeah, he's you got to talk to Ma about the boys, Sheriff. <laughs> <laughs> you call your wife Ma? Oh, everybody has to. It's, it's, it's her rule, I think. Uh, <laughs> And, you know, they, they go around back. Now De Niro's in the wash tub. <laughs> Scrubbing him down. He's like, oh, oh. <laughs> He's here to ask about an actually quite serious crime. Nothing to do with just stealing a pie. And it's like, well, what did you do to the Turner girl? And they're all like, oh, no, what, what are you talking about? We didn't do anything. And she does it with every boy. So what do, what do you care? Yeah, it's that whole, oh, we didn't do anything. But if we did, it was okay. But we did. Yeah, if but we did. If we did. Yeah. It's but fun. if we did, you know. And the sheriff's like, she does it with nobody. And if she does, uh, she don't get her arm broke when she does it. Yeah. And they're like, oh, well, I mean. And so it's Susie Turner, one of the neighbors. And she's ID'd them already. Uh, of of course. course, mom does not believe it. <laughs> <laughs> she she goes full uh, into attack mode immediately oh she she's going like full karen on this guy spit on her for me <laughs> <laughs> jesus christ lady my sons would never do this but if they did she deserved it yeah, well, you know, she runs the sheriff off, basically, you know, telling him to spit on her. And like, I don't believe it at all. You know, later, she does sort of scold them. You know, she slaps them and's like, Susie Turner's white trash, like all the girls around here. Kind of some Ed Gein's mom character here. 
a little bit. And it's kind of funny that her saying this is is like they're actually all not equal to us. That's what makes her decide right. to pack up and move. Well, as if they are a higher caste somehow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, well, a smart boy stays by his equals. I'm like, who are not these guys equals? Are you kidding me? Around here, you're you're all getting washed in a dirty wash tub on the back porch. <laughs> Running water does exist. Like well, every it... single uh, I I mean it definitely does at this one. This is the 20s at least yeah but i mean yeah it's the rural place so that's fair we are getting into oh no we no that's right we aren't in depression era yet that actually happens in the movie yeah heading toward the great depression sort of a key uh political detail in the movie i think Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like in, in terms of its theme of the exploitation of the poor by the rich yeah so Ma Barker, this is the first time where we get one of those various pieces where she's talking about her philosophy over just some uh, cool uh, uh, stock footage and shit. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So, okay, first they steal the sheriff's car and leave town. (laughs) Yeah, I love love it. It's like, where'd you get the car? Oh, the sheriff. Oh, right on. (laughs) Yeah, she's like. I didn't know there were any cars this nice in this town. He's like, it's the sheriff's car. And like, well, that's just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's just like completely cool with it. And, and that, that's the thing. I think real Bob Barker knew about all the crimes and was just totally okay with it. Right. That does seem to be more the case. She was just fine with it. She was okay with living off of crime. I don't think she was masterminding the crime. She certainly wasn't going out with the Tommy gun with them. (laughs) All right, everybody. Oh, man, I love that scene when she robs the bank. Incredible. (laughs) So George has to stay behind. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, can I come with you? No. (laughs) You can't come along. You've gotta stay here uh, to tell people away trespassers <laughs> tell, tell, you gotta stay here to tell people we're not here it's and, like well how how will i ever get a hold of you and it's like well you'll find me in a palace someday <laughs> or you're just never gonna find me again and he's like you're a good man you made good sons it's just you know you're kind of bad with money and sex and maybe you're gay i don't know i'm just gonna go (laughs) (laughs) it's not your fault you just suck at absolutely everything yeah and they they drive away and they're saying like oh it's good to get him in the fucking rear view mirror right (laughs) he's like hey you love your paw yeah it's just i may insult him yeah it's just he was a born loser and I ain't. <laughs> That's all. This really is the last we see of their father. Yeah, he's done. He's gone. Uh, they left him behind. Yep. <laughs> and I think in reality, that's sort of what happened. Like, he was sort of in the background for a lot of the crime gang stuff. And then ultimately he just left because, and, and relatively early on, but not prior to them going out on becoming a gang yeah yeah he was watching them do robberies and stuff and he was just like fuck this shit i'm gone yeah yeah he just so this is our 
Right. Yeah. And fair. Fair. Mm-hmm. So then we get our first progress montage. Just Zowie, weren't the 20s modern? There's planes and flappers. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we, we get an idea that Ma is also uh, a racist. Uh, probably, yep. <laughs> she says, uh, people even tried to institute an anti-lynching bill. Can you believe it? <laughs> Just blown away that uh, anyone would want to outlaw lynching. Why would you want to do that? Uh, I mean, this came up again recently in, you know, reality, and uh, <laughs> the responses were the same. Yeah. Uh, in, in this period, of course, the KKK were there to do a huge march on Washington and uh, make sure that that bill didn't pass. Yep. Yeah. That He's was... like, anyway, my boys were never much for politics. <laughs> my boys and me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Good. Great. <laughs> I mean, it's good stuff for just uh, Corman showing both the the sort of mood of the period, you know, how people were bizarre in that era and how uh, awful things were. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we've we've also been watching Boardwalk Empire, which takes place around this time, uh, maybe a little yeah. earlier. Yeah, but like yeah. we saw in one episode, one guy like recruiting for the KKK. Like, hey, openly, yeah, yeah, openly, like on the street corner, like, hey, join the KKK, don't let black people do things. Well, and I, I feel like it's part of the point of this movie in terms of exploitation as uh, reflecting the history of exploitation and true crime as a really big part of that, because Birth of a Nation is a movie, a fictional movie that is sort of semi about a true event, you know, the Reconstruction South. And it it created the modern KKK. It basically rebirthed the organization. So movies as recruitment tools for bad political ideologies. This is something I think Corman has in mind mm. with this movie. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so they got to take the ferry. This is our first major crime. <laughs> yeah. They, they got rear-ended, though. Well, it's 50 cents for the ferry, and that leaves no gas money. Oh, yeah. They didn't get rear-ended or anything. I I think that might have just sort of happened once they're on the boat. I'm thinking, okay, yeah, no, that was on the boat. I forgot about the fiasco with the 50 cents. Yeah, so it's 50 cents. And they're like, well, we don't have 50 cents. And they're, you know, sort of piecing through all of their loose coins. And like, well, if we do that, we don't have any gas money. So I guess we're going to rob the ferryman instead. Yep, yep. And then there's the other passengers who I think they only rear end them because they're worried that these guys are going to attack them. And they do. Oh, I thought I thought it was an accident, honestly. Because they attack the car with hammers. Oh, they want to rob them, too. Yeah, because, you know, it's just what they do. It was a big brawl. Everybody falls in the river and Herman ends up murdering the guy. Uh, he he stomps his throat, or he doesn't stomp his throat. He's threatening to, and everyone's like, "I don't think you should do that, man." <laughs> I don't think Ma would like it. Oh, you don't tell me what Ma would like. Right, exactly. He's like, I don't, I know what Ma's like, mm-hmm. and he he basically just stands on the guy's windpipe until he dies. Yeah, and of course he's right. When they get back to Ma, she's like, "Well, he just had one of his bad moments." <laughs> yeah. Oh. 
<laughs> Sleep with Ma. She'll take away all your dreams. Oh, no. <laughs> and this means exactly what you think it means. Of course it does. So, uh, everyone sort of patriotically and with some tears and discomfort, uh, everybody sings the battle hymn of the Republic. <laughs> Ma just leads everyone in a chorus of the battle hymn of the Republic. Yep. <laughs> she she does this a lot. Hey, there's this whole weird thread that connects them to uh, the evangelical movement in its infancy, because they they watch Billy Sunday uh, every week, and they're sort of fringe evangelicals. Oh, okay. Which is, you know, the what that's the group who sort of uh went into the neoconservative movement right those jerks you know the same ones who uh were against the anti-lynching bill when it came up again right. it is sort of all in here so uh herman he he's in he's the oldest he's the killer and he's in love with a sex worker uh our mona who i totally love mona the poor girl does not <laughs> what the fuck is she doing here <laughs> why is she following this guy and his family why is she here i think she asks herself that but she doesn't really have an answer so she just keeps doing it it's weird at first she doesn't seem to be but i guess ultimately she is in love with the guy for whatever reason yeah it's it's a whole, oh man, it's a, it's a whole thing. And, and him being into someone other than Ma is like a point of contention with the entire family. Like, uh, De Niro asks, oh, ask if she can feel as good as Ma. <laughs> <laughs> like, you're weird, dude. <laughs> now Herman doesn't feel different inside me. Yeah, exactly. And he he's talking to her and she seems pretty dismissive she's not really into this whole love thing you know this is her work yeah she's but you know a diamond ring though i could be into that <laughs> <laughs> so we we cut to the barkers robbing a jewelry store very cause and effect <laughs> yep <laughs> and we see very rapid signs of herman being a violent psychopath and it's specifically daddy issues mm-hmm he wants to cut the jeweler's eyes out uh, because he's like, you got eyes just like my old man. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's got a problem with people who have a certain color of eyes. Yeah, blue eyes. Yeah. He doesn't like that. Because uh, if there are men who could potentially be an authority figure towards him, it's like, I don't know what what his big problem with his dad is because his dad did not seem to be very effective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, certainly not much of an authority figure yeah it's not like he got between him and ma ever probably oh no i don't think so i doubt it and he, he's the only one who seems to be seeking anyone outside of ma so it doesn't seem to be that either i don't know it's just he, i guess he's just a psychopath i guess <laughs> but yeah the, the other boys have to drag him out because <laughs> it's like yeah we, we gotta get out of here and uh we cut to Herman in bed with Ma, mm -hmm. giving her a diamond brooch from the robbery. Yep. <laughs> and they weep, and she holds him. He's like, oh, don't fuss. <laughs> <laughs> like, he he robs the jewelry store because the 
the girlfriend, the the potential fiance is interested in a diamond ring, but we don't see him go back to her. We see him go back to Ma and give her the diamond jewelry instead. Yeah, and it, it's interesting how here, like the whole time he's doing the robbery, he's like, "Oh man, I sure do love raping and killing," and then when he's with Ma, he's like. Didn't mean to kill all them people, Ma. <laughs> yeah, it's just—it's so weird. I, maybe he's got like bipolar disorder or something. Uh, maybe because because after a while, like he—he's got to know that Ma doesn't mind that he's killing all these people. No, Ma's more into it than anyone else. She's really into killing. Yeah, uh, it turns more so. Out. Like later on, she's the only one who's really into killing. Mm-hmm. So. We get to this bit where there's the fundraiser jamboree for the fire department. <laughs> oh, yeah, they got the brilliant plan. Uh, is it De Niro who's going to steal from the charity bucket? I think it's Herman and Fred. Okay. Because both of them get arrested. Right, right. They're they're the ones who end up in jail. Yeah, it turns into a brawl. Yeah, so Herman first, he lurks near the funds, like uh, all, all of the raised funds for the f- fire department next to the band. And basically gets people's attention. I don't know if that's the intent, but he is drawing attention by lurking near the money. Yeah, he's being real conspicuous about it. Just standing right behind the bucket with his hands in his pockets going. (laughs) Yeah, and I don't I, I like I'm really not sure whether it was to draw their attention so that they wouldn't notice Fred picking pockets because he does pick pockets and. You know, immediately gets caught anyways, because there's lots of people. Yeah. Um, I don't think they had a plan. No, it doesn't really seem like it. It's like, ah, oh, let's just go to this thing and maybe we'll uh, rob people. Yeah. It'll probably work out. Yeah. Because Fred's not even picking a person's... Well, he, he's picking someone's pocket, but it, it's not on anyone. He finds, like, a wallet in some jeans hanging on a branch. Yep. <laughs> and some lady sees him and starts screaming. Yeah, yeah. First lady's like, hey, do you want to make out with me? Because I think you better. And it's like, uh, no, not really. Because <laughs> we, we haven't established it quite yet, but he is the one who's gay. Yeah, We're going to establish it pretty quick, actually. Oh, yeah. Well, he's soon going to be in jail and find the love of his life. Uh, yeah. So he gets chased. Everyone r- runs after him. I guess this is where Herman goes to steal the money. And it seems like he was maybe waiting for a diversion like i don't know who's supposed to be diverting who <laughs> i think it was more kind of supposed to be like whoever got caught first i guess so but they both get caught yes <laughs> it turns into a whole brawl he shoots the guy who's playing stand-up bass because that guy's really been eyeing him <laughs> so, uh fred just leads everyone in a chase into a bunch of people having sex in the bushes <laughs> and they, they go to jail so we 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 smash forward. It's 1929. The stock market crashes. Yeah, we got the whole, uh, the whole like black and white stuff. The montage. Very good line here from Ma. The rich people jumped out windows and fell on the poor. Yep. And we get Fred in jail with his celly, Bruce Dern as Kevin Dirkman. I love Bruce Dern. <laughs> He's so. He's so creepy here, and I'm like so afraid for Freddy until it turns. I think, 
I think Dern is the ultimate creepy actor of this era. He's so good at it. He ha- he's just is great at exuding menace, mm-hmm. but like a sort of charming menace in a weird sort of way. Yeah, kind of, kind of. There's an allure to his menace. He he does seem toxic, but you're interested. He's compelling. <laughs> That's true. And, and yeah, I thought he was going to end up being like the guy who took the gang to the big time. It seems like that because he's obviously a dangerous psychopath. He's very dangerous. But uh, we we cut to Fred giving him a massage, you know, massaging his back with his feet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the sexual tension is obvious. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, oh, you don't like to beat people up? Do you like to get beat up? Like, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I'm not going to hurt you. I really like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, he rolls up a shirt to whoop him with, but for fun. Oh, yes, for fun. And he's like wearing like his tight blue jeans and he's shirtless the whole time. And just moving like that one episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia where Dennis gives the, the exercising instructions to the kid in the playground. Absolutely. Yeah, no, he does have major Dennis energy in this, or Dennis really feels like a classic Bruce Dern character. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So elsewhere we see, I think it's Herman. It's either Herman or Arthur. I believe it's Herman who went to jail on this. Yeah, he's he's praying in his cell. (laughs) Yeah, very loudly. Yeah, and his uh, it's not going as well with his cellmate, but... uh, you know, not a problem for Herman. No, because he's a psychopath. <laughs> he fucking beats him down when he complains about how loud he's praying. <laughs> yeah. Just a psychotic beat down. He's like, well, okay, things are not going as well over there. <laughs> Please look after Ma. Please look <laughs> after my brothers. <laughs> and we cut to Ma outside, kind of mirroring that. She is also just really broken up, especially about herman being in jail mm-hmm. he's like oh i'm gonna make me a heap of money and hire an expensive lawyer <laughs> uh and th- this is where she says that well i think that's what jesus's problem was he couldn't get a good enough lawyer because he was poor <laughs> yeah she starts going off about like you know what the problem with people like john wilkes booth that jesus was they got caught and they didn't have a good lawyer and, uh, well, yeah, Jesus, especially in Arthur, is like, that's kind of dark, Ma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, although putting John Wilkes Booth in the same uh, sentence as Jesus is uh, kind of... Yeah, that kind is something, point. too. <laughs> on point for her, for her as well. Yeah. Her martyrdom, her uh, love of crime, they, they really fit together there. Mm-hmm. Of course, this is where we establish that Lloyd, uh, Robert De Niro's character, is... On drugs. This point, he's just sniffing glue, but he is stoned and he does not care. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Arthur has an opinion about what Ma's saying. Uh, Lloyd is unaware of anything going on. (laughs) He is out there. He's train spotting. Yeah. So this is where we get, well, Ma's coming with you, boys. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we got one last job. Well, one first job, really. Yeah. We robbed the Yellville Bank. Good type. Good name. Yellville. <laughs> ah! 
Uh, yeah and so ma up front with the tommy gun that (laughs) rules that's like the poster image and you got it smoking the cigarette and like all right you bastards get your asses down on the floor right this second shelly winters very good in this role she is just like this is the prototypical shelly winters role she just sort of monopolized this she was the best at this sort of role for like a stretch of time in hollywood uh she's lolita's mom oh you know in in lolita she's the mom that he has to get out of the way okay cool yeah she she has a lot of roles like this this is sort of a very great you know a classic shelly winter performance shelly winter's performance it's a lot of fun and she's easily the best part of the movie in my opinion she's so good yeah uh, so, well, while they're in the bank, Lloyd is the one driving the getaway car, and just some college kids rear-end them. <laughs> yep. And just, like, rowdy, stereotypical old-school college kids from this era, like the ones that you see in uh, the uh, the Glasses character, uh, fucking Harold Lloyd. Oh, Harold Which, Lloyd, Lloyd. Yeah. Harold Lloyd, he does a whole movie where he's dressed exactly like these guys, <laughs> the freshmen. Uh, they're they're driving like, well, I guess it wasn't old at the time, but like that, it it reminded me of like Archie and the gang and that shitty old car, although it, the jalopy, yeah. yeah. Uh, so yeah, he, he gets he gets in kind of a fight with them, and then inside, Ma and uh, Arthur, they take these four old church ladies hostage. <laughs> Yeah. All right, you are the fat one, you are the skinny one, you you do come with me. This is uh, all, all of these wealthy dowagers on the running boards of this fucking <laughs> car as they're on a high speed Tommy gun chase. That's incredible. <laughs> For me, this is probably the greatest single scene of the movie because it's just so perfect in terms of its absolute crazy pitch. <laughs> yeah, we've got all these like old 1920s ladies in their summer dresses and their big floppy well i never hats yeah and they're being chased by two carloads of cops with tommy guns and you know the barker gang have like you know shot out their own windows and they're shooting back at them (laughs) (laughs) it's so great when one of the old ladies like bails off the car it has to it does like a rolling dive oh it's fucking incredible it's like the beginning of body parts you know she's the the she's the the exact same placement of the wheel that gets flung <laughs> off and you know they're they're going fast and ma finally she just punches her in the gut to push her <laughs> off and she just goes spinning it's like she should hit the the front of the other vehicle and it should explode <laughs> <laughs> well the, there is a car it is what dist- it it well it, it basically is what stops the chase they have to swerve to avoid her and both of the two cars end up crashing the the pursuers yeah there are cars made of explodium in this movie, though, aren't there? Am I thinking of something else? I don't. I I think maybe one of them explodes here, uh, but we don't get a lot of that yet. I think it's later right. on when we start to have some car explosions because things gradually elevate. Yes. You know, by the end of it, things are pretty ridiculous. <laughs> the fucking picnic. <laughs> oh, we're gonna talk about the picnic. Oh, for sure. <laughs> so they. They strip the three remaining biddies because it's like, well, you're, you're, don't worry, it's nothing sexual, ladies. <laughs> we just we 
it's going to be a harder time for you to get to help if you're all naked. You're going to have uh, you. I, I I know your type with your modesty. You are not going to be uh, running around in public for a while. Yeah, yeah. She's like, it's not sexual. And meanwhile, the two sons are like, oh, it's kind of sexual. He's like, I don't us. know. It's kind of sexual. I mean, you know, we're we're used to older ladies. <laughs> is, is the thing that's that's your fault. Well, Ma, you didn't really pick any lookers this time. <laughs> yeah. So her justification is, it was God's will. He left that money in the bank for us. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and God locked the door and put all the guards there. And God gave us the guns and the bullets. I mean, it worked out for them, so they must be right. It must be. <laughs> So they, you know, they have the money, they get the other boys out of jail. You know, it's just like uh, in Battles Without Honor and Humanity. You get the money, you can get them out. Oh, yeah. Um, and they also get out Freddy's new friend, Kevin Dirkman. Yeah, he's in the <laughs> gang now. He's a barker. So they say, Freddy's new friend. Yeah. <laughs> it's cute. Uh, and, of course, Herman brings Mona Gibson, his... Uh, his lover, his sex worker, and mom is very jealous. Yeah, Ma, Ma don't like, Ma likes Kevin just fine, but does not like Mona. She's not country folk. <laughs> and of course, neither's Kevin, but but Freddie likes him. Yeah. <laughs> and I aim to pleasure myself on you. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love that. It's basically like, all right. He's like, oh. All right, Kevin, your turn. <laughs> All right, bring it on, Mama. Oh no, you don't get to be yeah. creepy on me. I'm the dominant one. He's like, tone it down. <laughs> that's a little bit later, <laughs> but yeah, that's great. And uh, we note that uh, Herman still allows all of the other guys to have sex with Mona until they're married. Just until they're married. Yeah, like they have a whole conversation about it with Mona. There, it's like, yeah, you guys can fuck her now, but not when we're married. Yeah, once we're married, that's it. So so she has sex with De Niro in the back of the car while Herman's driving. Yeah, he's like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and De Niro's just like, business is business. Me? Do you love me? And she's like, <laughs> no. No. He's like, well, fine. So he, by the way, is on heroin now. Yes. He has very much taken up heroin. Uh, <laughs> and everyone's just chatting about how you know, flaws make people more beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are my flaws that make me beautiful, says Mona, setting herself up to be ripped the fuck down. <laughs> yeah. And then, meanwhile, uh, he wanders off, stoned, fully dressed. He <laughs> sinks into the lake. <laughs> <laughs> and wouldn't you know it, there's a hot girl swimming there. So th this lady named Rembrandt, just sort of this, uh, uh, I, I think there's sort of an analogous character to this in reality. I'm not really sure. <laughs> She's like, you must be drunk. <laughs> no, ma'am, I'm high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, like they're hitting it off and they're hitting it off. And then he's like, do you want to see my heroin scar? She's like, this is a little weird because he slowly starts getting weirder. He's yeah. like, I'm not people, you see. None of us Barkers are people. Oh, I guess I shouldn't have said we was Barkers. She's like, I don't know who that is, What? but you're starting to 
creep me out. And also you're on top uh, of and me he... and I'd like you to stop being on top of me. Yeah, and he ends up abducting her because he's too stoned to know what to do. And we, we cut to her just tied to a oh, bed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and Ma's lecturing him like, when I say hello, Mr. Hunter, and step on yeah. your foot, you smile and... Yeah. When we're at Bearskin Lake, we're the hunters. <laughs> I, I forgot, Mama. Her dress is shredded. <laughs> you smile and nod. As she's like tied up. Oh, yeah, um, yeah. It's not good. It's bad. And Ma's like, well, Herman's just going to have to kill her. And Herman's like, I think Mona should do it. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, keep it outside the family. Oh, yeah, right. And uh, they they sort of muse, but, you know, hey, I wonder where we're at in terms of criminal fame rankings. You know, maybe I wonder where we are at via V Dillinger. Do you think we're more famous than Dillinger? Uh, maybe. <laughs> he's, and like he's already off on another thing. He's like, eh, I don't want to do that. Uh, maybe Mona can do that. <laughs> uh, by the way, do you think we're more famous than Dillinger? I think we might be. <laughs> and you know, ultimately, of course, Kevin and Ma uh, drown the girl in the bathtub. Oh yeah, we. Uh... We get to watch the whole. No thing. one else is into no. it. Oh yeah, they, everybody else is pretty uh, put out by it. Mm-hmm. So Ma's explanation, of course, is it's only a free country for the rich, so I aim to be freer than the rest. Again, the mission statement of the neoconservative movement. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so they dump the body in the lake, uh, and Ma announces. I don't want to sleep alone tonight. <laughs> yeah. Kevin, it's your turn. She, she busts in on Kevin and Fred in bed together. Yep. And yeah, this is where Kevin's like, I'm ready, Ma. <laughs> <laughs> hey, cool it. It's like, you, you just tone it down, but come along. <laughs> that was funny. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, the the murder really weighs on Lloyd. He sulks about it for a while. It clearly makes his drug problem quite a bit worse. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of kind of his fault it happened. I mean, it's kind of the fault well, of the crazy people who did the killing. But, you know, it's a whole mess. It's the fault of everyone. Ma says it's her fault. <laughs> like, not Ma's no, fault. No, no, it's, it's Rembrandt's yeah. fault. Yeah. You know, it's what her kind fault. of name is Rembrandt anyway? Yeah. And she does another you know it's like the battle hymn of the republic earlier she does some fucking world war piano song yeah. and uh about you know remember my boys belong to me <laughs> yeah yeah and everyone's just kind of like singing like yeah we're not into it they're not singing she just kind of forces everyone to sing and then like starts staring daggers at mona and like i could drown you too bitch <laughs> yeah so she says the boys were so or, sorry, the cops were so busy shooting strikers during the Great Depression, I guess they just didn't have time for us. <laughs> uh, point of political commentary there. Again, yeah, she says, I told my boys, you just rob banks and stay out of trouble. <laughs> yeah. I love that line. <laughs> Great. So this is their next hideout section. This is where they're hold up in that church the the old abandoned ruined church oh right and this is where they find that millionaire samuel adams pendlebury 
played by Pat Hengel, the great. <laughs> Not Buddy. Don't call him Buddy. <laughs> so he is, don't call me Buddy, Sonny. Uh, so he's a Memphis cotton broker, and just pretty wealthy for the era. Mm. Like the, they, they said he had three million. Three million in nineteen twenty money is a lot. Well, yeah, and it's the Great Depression now, yeah. so it's a lot. A lot. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Kevin almost blows it at first. We we see that he has that same kind of dangerous psychopathy that Herman has. Mm-hmm. And the uh, they they have to bring in a doctor because yeah he. I, oh he, yeah, he hit him too hard. Yeah, he hits him pretty hard and. They have to bring in a doctor to make sure he survives, so they can <laughs> get the uh, get the ransom. Yeah, that's right. They're like point to their. They got like these white bags on their head. Point to their gun at the doctor while he's uh, treating treating him. Yeah, and the doctor knows Ender or Pendlebury, and he knows him really well, and he's like speaking very highly of him. He's like, "This is a very good man. I want you to treat him nicely." Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> it's it's when he's revived that we get into the buddy v sunny boy <laughs> argument i'm not your buddy Herman. pal i'm not your pal friend i'm not your friend man yeah i don't like being called sunny boy i'd like to see those eyes I wonder if they look like my old man's eyes oh, yeah because he's got like these goggles <laughs> on so that uh yeah so he can't see where where they've taken him it turns out the guy's blind I don't know if he's blind or if it's just a matter of them having kept him unable to see for such a long period of time that it's too hard for him to adjust. I think because I don't think he's actually blinded. Okay, I I, I thought he was because he looked when they set him free. It looked like he had blind person glasses. Well, they they put some dark glasses on him because yeah, they're releasing him in daylight. Oh well, yeah. Oh, those aren't his. They're just glasses they found. Or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they're they put them on him. Yeah. So I don't know. They're like, they're they're. That's when they let him go. They do a lot of weird stuff here. Yeah. Uh, Pendlebury, he's not really interested in being friendly with them at all. No, not at all. He's like, my name is Samuel. You can call me Sam because of the uh, intimacy of the situation. And he's sort of like, I'm pretty sure you guys are going to kill me anyway, no matter what I do. So I'm going to be the stern dad that you never had. <laughs> yeah. And I, the the thing where Herman's asking about his eyes the first time, because it comes up a couple times. Oh, yeah, right. My they old were like, man had blue eyes. Yeah. like, And it was the kids, the other kids who were saying like, hey, did you check out his eyes? And Herman's like, what about his eyes? They're like, nothing. They're just eyes. Just wondering. Uh, but uh Pendlebury, I I think he is sort of aware of some sort of strange daddy issue that Herman has, and he's just willing to push that button all the time. <laughs> he's like, "Well, hell of a thing being without power, isn't it?" Yeah, <laughs> uh, he kind of he kind of does a reverse Patty Hearst on the boys. Yeah, they all kind of fall in line with him because they've never had a male authority figure in their life before. And, and I think Ma actually like saw this and is like, okay, that's it. I'm in charge of this guy now. Well, yeah, she comes back from town and, you know, people are talking about it. It's sort of a big story. So she's a bit worried about the heat. And she's like, we may have to kill him. 
And it's also like, it's not just that it's also definitely that she's a little worried about her position in the family being threatened by him as a proper authority figure. (laughs) I mean, if you're, if your position of power is threatened by the hostage you took, you maybe need to rethink your methods. Right. And this is where she's like, okay, from now on, only I feed him. And she starts a fight with Mona. Yeah, yeah. You got that, Mona? He doesn't belong to you. He belongs <laughs> to me. And Mona's like, I don't even want to be here. Yeah. And she, like, starts this whole thing where, like, she she's implying, like, well, I bet Mona would have sex with Pendlebury in an instant. And Kevin finds, like, and so? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, why? What? Who cares? And Mona's just like, and from now on you shut up (laughs) like i bruce dern rolls his eyes more than i've ever seen anybody do so like it's the most dramatic eye roll i've ever seen (laughs) yep although it's only one eye which is really funny oh yeah he he rolls one eye very dramatically that's right i forgot about that incredible (laughs) Oh, I just tried to do so it. I can't. No, I couldn't do that. That's amazing. So Ma feeds Sam, and here's where she tries to guilt him about his wife calling the police on them. <laughs> why does she have to go and call the cops on us? Well, why wouldn't she? <laughs> and, like, she's, you know, doing her usual mama stuff, and uh, Sam starts scolding her for swearing. <laughs> I was like, dude, you are taking your life in your hands. <laughs> well, a woman shouldn't swear. <laughs> I'll leave that to the menfolk. And he also insults her cooking. Like, he is playing with fire. <laughs> you know, it's not, it's not actually as good as my wife says. Or as my wife's cooking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. my wife is a much better mother and wife than you are uh just so you know <laughs> definitely would have cooked something better than this surely so meanwhile mona and uh herman are off to go get the uh ransom money and he's talking about what the signal is and <laughs> mona just she is so done with all of this she's so sick of it yeah <laughs> the signal they're is, talking about the signal it's, oh, please. it's three nra posters in the window right and it's like what a swell signal who thought of that (laughs) (laughs) she's like she knows she has to ask the question herman's like ma oh Mm. swell peachy keen yeah that's it peachy keen (laughs) and she sort of like moves the conversation towards so this marriage thing are we doing this or what are we gonna live with your mama he's like well ma's the balls yeah like what else would we do what other options like, exist right and again a, a long pause and peachy keen <laughs> <laughs> what is she doing here this poor woman well this is where she reveals that she's pregnant oh yeah that's and, right uh, just like in the middle like right in the middle of something else like i'm pregnant yeah, it's like, well, because she's asking about the marriage and uh, he says, Mom's the boss. I'm like, oh, Peachy Keen. Like, by the way, I'm pregnant. He's like, what? He like stamps on the brakes. They get rear ended and they 
they get to the place and only one and a half NRA posters are there. <laughs> <laughs> what, what what does that mean? It means they only got half the money. Yeah, she's like, well, probably they only got half the money, but they get ambushed before they can pick anything up. And they have this wild chase where Mona, our pregnant lady, leaning out the window, dual wielding pistols like a boss. Yeah, th- this is so fucking cool. I was like, OK, well, yeah, you're actually awesome. Still, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> She just happens to be the coolest is all. <laughs> uh, yeah. Which is which the fact that she's coolest is like, what is she doing here then with these losers? What is she doing here? Well, because so this is the part you were talking about where the car explodes. It's, she's the right. one that does it. She is the action star. They're they're doing the chase through the lumber yard yeah. and she blows up the engine with a bullet and fucking destroys people chasing them. Yep. <laughs> Uh, so ma drunk complaining to sam about the money (laughs) you know that they didn't give her you didn't give us all the money (laughs) well you know it takes a long time to move that much money around she's just like chugging back the whiskey (laughs) bitching about the money she sounds like yamamori at this point she's doing the whole I can't believe you didn't give us all the money and we wanted. <laughs> yeah, I, I only get 70%. <laughs> she probably does get 70% in this oh, deal. Oh, no, she probably gets all of it and then just doles out whatever. And she gives Sam some whiskey and's like, Sam, would you make love with me? <laughs> and he's like, nah. <laughs> I don't think that's a good idea. And she goes into her rant about the rich living off the poor, basically as true crime entertainment. It's like, you rich people love us. Like, you love to hate us. You love just spending all your time thinking about all of our crimes. Mm -hmm. She ends up being proven right. She's true. She's saying, like, look, the system has been fostered to keep us down. And make everybody else complacent. Mm-hmm. It, this is really like a big, you know, uh, thesis statement of the movie. It is like, this is a, a movie that's about exploitation as a form. Mm-hmm. Totally. And and yeah, she's, well, yeah, the system is coming after her, uh, maybe disproportionately because she's, you know, rising above her station or trying to. Right. And she recognizes that she is one of the most famous people in America for bad reasons, but people would still like her a lot. She says, I bet I'd get more fan mail than Eleanor Roosevelt. And I'm prettier than she is, too. Well, I mean, she's (laughs) right about the second part. Might be right about the first part. (laughs) Could be. People really idolized criminals in this area. You you really had favorite criminals. I mean, you still do. You still get like... Charles Manson would get fan mail and people like, marry me, Charles Manson. But I think it was more of a cultural thing then. Like, it, it, you know, kids would be fans of oh. Dillinger and Capone and all of these people. You know, that, that would be oh, cool. Yeah. Not not weird. Yeah, no, that's true. Like, even... Not niche. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. And, like, and Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. 
so she kisses Sam. She says, you're a proper grown up man, Sam. And I love that it then pans to reveal that Herman and Lloyd have just been on the other side of the room watching all of this <laughs> crazy bullshit of her drunkenly trying to get her to have sex yeah, with him. And I love how she says to him, it's like, well, it's like, I can't, I'm tied up. But if you untied me, I might run away. Yeah, well, my boys would be watching you with their machine guns. Is that any kind of way to make love? <laughs> like, I always make my like, love with <laughs> my boys watching with machine guns. Like, oh, that's kinky. Yeah. <laughs> so they do get the ransom. They they ultimately yep. get the whole ransom. They give they get Sam all dressed up. They give him a shave. And then Herman, he just, man, I got to see those eyes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and everybody's like, no, man, not this shit. We don't, we can't do this. We're almost home free. Yeah, come on. We we all kind of like this guy. He's fine. Can we just let this pass? But he has to see him, and they are blue like his daddy's. They're like my father's eyes. And he, like, looks at all of them, but he says he can't see them. And I'd say probably you can see them. He's been literally blinded. He's had these things over his eyes for weeks it, maybe i feel like it's been weeks and it's a dark yeah, room seems to like it's been with. A yeah no i okay yeah. yes i agree with that yeah that that makes sense and i was like yeah and he's like he can't see us just put the thing back on and just let him go this is stupid and ma on the way decides now we have to kill him uh arthur is gonna have to kill him specifically i feel that arthur should do it <laughs> it's his turn i think yeah, and Arthur's like, I don't want to do that. <laughs> None of us really want like, to. Yeah, fine. Yeah, and she's like, Herman, you wait in the car with me. And the the two of them kiss Herman and Ma. Yeah, uh, passionately. Yeah, and she says, there isn't nothing I won't protect you from. Nobody I won't kill for you. Yep. Yeah, good old possessive. That's true. Uh, mm, that's true. Over overbearing <laughs> mother. But like it, it just keeps they keep waiting to hear some shots and they don't nothing's going on and just like you're gonna have to go out and do it uh, Herman it seems like you're the only one who can uh, do the killings in this family and we hear shots ring out yep uh, and then we you know we get back to it's another Ma singing at the piano scene <laughs> and this time no one is jazzed everyone is like nah no nah, we're not doing this this time yeah they're they're they're, they're pissed now they're they're unhappy they're they're totally tired of it. It's like herman finally admits he's not dead mama uh, we didn't kill him uh we, it, it was all just a, a theatrical thing we we shot the gun so you would think so you just stop and we could go home you you just need to chill out <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I didn't get as far as I got by chilling out. I don't have a chill out button. Yeah, we know. Right. He's like, well, we're going to have to move base. And she slaps Herman. But Herman slaps Ma back. Ooh. Ooh, right to the floor. He says, you're an old lady, Mama. <laughs> Do you understand? Yep. So Herman is taking over the gang. Ma's not in charge anymore. Now, my understanding I mean, is this doesn't happen in the real story. Well, because Ma was never in charge in the well, first place. Good, 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 okay, well, <laughs> good that's point, kind of the point. Good point. So that, I think Herman was kind of always in charge. Yeah, and creepy. Yeah. Creepy carpus. Creepy carpus, yeah. 
who I guess maybe Kevin Dirkman is sort of vaguely supposed to represent, but that was a whole extra gang. Yeah, so no, that's it's no there's not enough overlap for him to be that character no so they're they're like okay we're gonna move down to florida and uh he decides that they're going to florida yep (laughs) he leaves ma crying on the floor and walks out with mona so he's it's it's serious Mm -hmm. (laughs) so they get down south and they meet scatman crothers at this house oh yeah doesn't get a lot to do it's like holy shit it's scatman crothers <laughs> yeah yeah i know he doesn't do much he just kind of shows him around no he i like i guess he's the guy who owns the house or uh, he he's the caretaker rather uh, i think he's the caretaker because he certainly knows the area he's telling them about the gator outback oh yeah the legendary uh, gator old joe yep the biggest gator you ever seen and uh lloyd is just obviously stoned. <laughs> Just so stoned. He's trying to make fun of uh, Scatman Crothers' accent. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> and Ma finally like, starts yelling at him for how fucking totally wrecked he is. He's like, leave me alone, old lady, old lady, old lady, old lady. <laughs> <laughs> old lady, old lady, old lady, old lady. <laughs> and Arthur's like, it's your fault, Ma. It's Ever since you killed Rembrandt, he's been fucked. There's just he's totally useless now. This is your fault. <laughs> oh, nothing's my fault. Nothing. I never did anything wrong. And just the sequence of events here is very amplified because they go hunting for the gator. Yep. So Dirt chases a piglet to use for gator bait. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He captures this poor pig. Uh, and like drags it behind them in the like ties it up to a rope and to the boat and drags it behind them. Yeah, to to get a get the old Joe. Yeah, the the old alligator. And meanwhile, Lloyd overdoses. Yeah, on heroin. Uh, I guess it's either heroin or morphine. Yeah, so, something you inject anyway. Yeah, and he he just fucking dies and in, in the reeds at the edge of the swamp. And Ma freaks out. Mm-hmm. Ma has a total meltdown. Yep. But you know, Herman and Kevin are off still hunting the gator, and they they he he blows away the gator. Very fake looking gator, by the way. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we get some we got some good a little bit of good gator gore. Oh yeah, he I mean he fucking blows it away with a Tommy gun. He shoots like 60 <laughs> times. Incredible. Yep. <laughs> But then Ma just wades screaming into the swamp, yelling about <laughs> Lloyd being dead. And, you know, Scatman goes to a phone booth nearby and it's like, Sheriff, they killed my piglet and old Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Someone's got to come down here and do something. Uh, gator killing is, an, is a federal offense here in Florida. Well, it wouldn't be federal. I don't know. I don't know the joke I'm trying to make. Gators. I, I just find it funny that what what ultimately ends up uh, drawing the police down on them is they killed uh, an alligator. <laughs> you know, after all of the shit that they did, them blowing away an alligator, like, oh, that alligator had some powerful friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's the local celebrity alligator. You don't fuck with that one. Yeah. So Ma is packing her bag to leave for Miami. And Herman's like, uh, 
I'll catch up with you later. You just go on ahead. Yep. <laughs> but then, or sorry, Mona is packing to leave. Right. Rather, not Ma. <laughs> of course. Of course. Ma wouldn't be leaving. So a police caravan shows up. They surround the house early the next morning. So Mona's the only one who got out. Yeah, there are so many cars. They came out in force. Yeah. And not only police, but like onlookers have gathered to picnic and watch. Yeah, they've they've set up like a picnic blanket and like a viewing area, maybe 10 feet off to the side. It's like, oh, it looks I mean, like this... the Barker family is going to get uh, murdered here. Let's uh, let's check it out, shall we? Yeah, true crime. Watch your crime now. <laughs> uh, that, that sort of thing. Uh, so meanwhile, Ma is in bed with Arthur <laughs> and she she wakes everyone up to shoot at the cops. They like everyone gets to the windows and they start fighting back. Never surrender, obviously. No, never. No, no. And yeah, th- this is a huge thing. So Kevin tries to surrender first. He he goes out with his hands up and says, I'm not a barker. And Ma's like, yeah, sure as hell ain't. She you bet him. your sweet ass you ain't. That's what it is, yeah. <laughs> and yeah, she pumps him full of lead. Yeah. She she gets him with the Tommy gun and Kevin, or not Kevin, uh, Fred is is very upset because that's his guy. Yeah, that's 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 his boyfriend. And Fred almost shoots Ma. Like he aims at her, but Fred's never shot anyone. Yeah, yeah. He aims at her, he does the whole thing with shaking gun, and he's like then you know he does that thing yeah and so instead he grabs a molotov cocktail he blows up one of the cop cars out on the lawn and then he himself is blown away mm. so rip fred rip kevin uh rip uh lloyd a little bit earlier right yeah of course uh just i i love that as the onlookers gather and you know they they throw fucking molotov cocktails they're gunning down cops that the as the cops are gunned down we cut to the audience going "Ooh, ah. <laughs> <laughs> corman reflecting his audience he knows <laughs> so arthur gets shot right in the head ma has a complete meltdown yeah uh, right she... because arthur was like right next to him when when he died yeah, Arthur was the one who was in bed with her. Yeah. So she goes to Herman crying. He's the last one left. And uh, she's just babbling like a maniac. Mm-hmm. She's just trying to like, I, I, you know, none of this is my fault, obviously. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why these cops keep shooting us. I, I don't understand. I always did everything right. You understand, don't you? And Herman turns the gun and shoots himself in the face yep and it's really gory it's just like oh yeah bloosh, like, disgusting yeah his face is off yeah and ma just she screams you bastards you always had everything we had nothing and just firing a tommy gun out the door at the police yeah she makes her last stand and predictably gets gunned down she gets the high ground, she goes up to the attic and tries to shoot down from there and yeah, they they shoot her, she falls out the window. Yep. And do it does like a whole big dramatic death. You gotta. I mean, it's Ma Barker. <laughs> <laughs> flashing back to like everything that's happened up to this point. Well, flashing back then... to all of the other deaths, which yeah. kind of recently all happened well, mostly. Yeah. <laughs> 
and then the credits roll over a postage stamp commemorating Mothers of America. <laughs> <laughs> so it's so yeah, it's not as funny as Stingray, but like the tonal whiplash yeah. actually kind of reminds me more of uh, a little bit more like a bloodier Stroisek. Really yeah. dark material, but kind of hilarious. Because all of the people in it are these sort of weird, broken misfits, and we understand their plight, even if we don't necessarily sympathize with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, Bob Barker is a great character. Shelley Winters regardless. is fantastic. Yeah, regardless of how accurate it is, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, it's just a great larger-than-life character. Like, this is why the story is so resonant, is that the fiction of Ma Barker is a great character, even if it's just not real. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this whole thing is pretty much made up whole cloth. I don't think... Yeah, I don't think anything in this movie happened in real life. Yeah, there is practically no uh, overlap with the reality of the case, other than that there were people with those names. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and they, they did, did crimes. Rob some banks. They did some yeah. crimes. They, they did lots of crimes. They did more crimes than we're seeing here, considerably more. <laughs> oh yeah, they were like freaking millionaires by the end of it. Ma had all sorts of boyfriends that they killed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when she got bored of them. <laughs> bored of this one, Herman. You know what to do. Okay, Ma. It's Herman's job. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, yeah I. I love this movie. I think it's a really excellent take on it. I, I think it's really fascinating to do the heavily fictionalized version and nod toward it being fictionalized and sort of work on that as the theme that we only have the fictionalized tale. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I also think it's interesting like, to get kind of... I lost my point. <laughs> Perspective? Yeah, yeah, it's interesting to get some perspective. We don't see anything, like, it's all about Ma and the family. We don't see anything about the police that are trying to catch her. We don't learn a single cop's name. It's not about the investigation, it's about the legend. Yeah, it is all Ma POV, basically. We don't really get much outside of her, and just enough to undercut her. Like, we do see her interpretation of all of the world events happening during the period but she's sort of outside of them and we're not really meant to be on her side about any of it we, we look at her and it's like she's kind of bad she's not good yeah i mean <laughs> I, I think it's really important that she compared john wilkes booth to jesus to jesus christ I mean, yeah that's that gives you an idea of where you're sitting with this character and yeah, yeah. i guess there's also people Lots of people who did today who would worship John Wilkes Booth because yeah, and yeah. she's she loves a martyr and she mm -hmm. she she kind of sees herself as a martyr as a mother so that's uh, definitely where she aligns herself with Jesus but not so much any of those ideas no 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 <laughs> kindness to everyone and all that no that's not please thing. I don't think so God no so this is replaced in the stacks with catch the heat. <laughs> uh checkers goldberg uh half jewish half chinese all kung fu oh, <laughs> uh, oh no oh she, no 
he's out to stop drug smugglers. You know, there's a kingpin who's uh, it's Rod Steiger, you know, the great Rod Steiger, who is uh, he he's like hiding, like surgically implanting drugs in beautiful young women to uh, <laughs> smuggle it in, of course. Sure, sure. <laughs> That's an easy uh, way to do it. Yeah, so just, you know, a really bonkers, weird 80s action movie. <laughs> All right, cool. <laughs> yeah. Set in Buenos Aires and Checkers goes undercover as exotic dancer Cinderella Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> strange name choices i love checkers goldberg that rules that's so good i just love that she has that crazy of a name and then it's like we're also picking another absurd undercover name for her to have excellent that's good (laughs) so do you have any last thoughts on bloody mama before we head on to part two uh, no, I think we covered it. <laughs> All right. And we're back for part two, where we're talking about Convoy Busters, also known uh, original Italian title, Poliziato Scomodo, which I think it means. So I, I took this to Google Translate because I know Poliziato is cop. Mm-hmm. Scomodo the primary translation is uncomfortable so an uncomfortable cop doesn't sound quite right to me uh, i looked at the alternate meanings i think it's an inconvenient cop uh, oh well he is that he's an inconvenient cop our maurizio Murley back again with stelvio Mazzi, uh same star and director from highway racer which was also a and Poliziato blank. That was Poliziato sprint. Okay, so so speed cop. Now we've got an inconvenient cop. He's it's <laughs> a more complex film. It is, and he is a more complex character. He, the last guy he played was really straightforward, and this guy seems like he's going to be straightforward. He's just about the violence and getting results, but there's a bit more to him. A little bit. A little bit. (laughs) He's a different kind of stereotypical bad cop. Well, what's really fascinating to me about this one, just in terms of structure, superficially, it's got a lot of similarities with Highway Racer, but it's played very differently and it has an altogether different tone. And he's a very different character, even though he has sort of a similar arc and is scripted in a similar way. Like the... (laughs) <laughs> the whole violence cop thing where no <laughs> violence is what I do. It, it's very much like his no being a race car cop is what I do, but it comes off completely different in this one. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, he has basically the same desire, but in this one, it's not treated as a good thing. Although it's weird. He is also a more successful cop in this one. He's, I, I guess that's the inconvenient nature of him is that violence does work for him most of the time and it uh i mean it it's sort of necessary in the environment he's in because of how uh, corrupt everyone is especially <laughs> the judge who runs things yeah 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 like he he can't 
get anything done if he goes through the proper channels, it feels like. So it's almost like he has to resort to violence. But then he gets then he gets slapped when he does, but he never has to stop being a cop. Well, yeah, no, they, they transfer him around like a priest. They just move him to different <laughs> departments. Uh, and, then, and then he just finds a different way to be violent there, to use his violence to uh, policing effect. Although, really, the first choice they make in moving him from homicide to emergency response, I mean, I get it. It seems like a way that you might channel that violence, but it's just providing him with a lot of extra violence toys. I get an access to a helicopter now? I'm going to shoot so many people with this. Because crime doesn't pay. It's the only thing I know. Uh, he says a lot. It's the only thing I know. That's it's kind the of only thing I know. It, it it reminds me of Gene in Bob's Burgers. <laughs> this is me now. This is the only thing I know. It, it, yeah. that, it like that's immediately what came to my mind when he's doing his argument about violence, and it did echo with me with his argument about being a race car cop. That just. This is me now. <laughs> I really want to see all of these different uh, Merle Massey uh, collaborations because I think they're all a cop X and then probably this is me now. <laughs> well, I, I can see now that this guy has rage. He doesn't even look the same here. It's true. And, like, he does have a real different look. This is much later. And he carries himself different too. Like he really does seem like a completely different guy. If you didn't tell me it was him, I would, I wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. uh, until like you look at his face, and... he's distinct. I don't know. I I, yeah. I didn't. I I found him completely recognizable from the first moment. He is dressed very differently, and he's got facial hair and stuff. He's much older. Like this is maybe ten years down the line. Maybe not quite that much. I think Highway Racer was seventy one. Oh shoot! I I should have checked when this is. Here I'll look it up. This is seventy eight. So what do you think? Also, by the way, An Inconvenient Cop v. Convoy Busters as the title of the film. Oh, uh, Convoy Busters is a terrible title. For, it's a cool title, but it's yeah. a terrible title for this film because it ain't much of a convoy. Uh, he does bust it. It's But there's, there's no busters. There's just a buster. It's just him. Yeah, yeah. busting convoys isn't what he does. It's just no, something it's... he happened to do the one time. It's a very strange title. I think it was literally just to capitalize on the song and movie Convoy, which had been big uh, hits about this time. So Highway Racer was actually just the year before. It was 77. So it is crazy how much different he looks. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like he, he transformed in that year. It's impressive. He looks much more weathered. It's uh, yeah, I'm impressed with that. Yeah. No, I definitely want to see more of this guy because he I want to see how many different kinds of uh of this cop he can play. I mean, I guess there's got to be a bunch of them. <laughs> so let me see. I Because Stelvio Massey and him. So there, there's one called Emergency Squad. Okay. Uh, although that doesn't look like it has him. There's one called Mark of the Cop. <laughs> <laughs> You've been marked. Now, if you ever are in the room, in a room... In the dark by yourself, a cop can get you. There's one called Destruction Force. That's great. <laughs> I, I'm trying to find, like, I, I'm not sure which of them are specifically, because I 
recall we looked this up in uh, our previous one and there was supposed to be like six collaborations between the two of them yeah i can't remember what any of them were called though it's it's hard to tell from the page okay so there is uh the iron commissioner (laughs) (laughs) damn i like that uh from corleone to to brooklyn Although that's a that's a different one. That's that's a Umberto Lenzi, and I actually have a couple of his other ones with the uh, that were directed by Umberto Lenzi. So I've got the tough ones and the cynic, the rat, and the fist. I think oh. he plays the main cop in all of these movies. <laughs> oh, so that that tough ones movie. I I didn't watch the trailer that you linked, but that was him. That's him. Yeah, he's oh, okay. uh, he's the main cop in that. Uh, there's one called The Rebel. Or Pliziato Solitudine. Solitudine. The lone Cop or something the lone like that. Cop, yeah. Ooh. <laughs> he plays by his own rules, I bet. Oh, he, he would have to. Yeah. So there's one that it's called Hunted City. Okay, interesting. interesting. Yeah. So there's there's a whole bunch of them. Uh oh, cool I, titles. They do. Uh, he's also in like a White Fang movie in the seventies. <laughs> All right, you know White Fang. The, I know the, White Fang. The wolf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I didn't know. Weird. I didn't know it went as far back as the seventies. I thought it was New Wish when I was a kid. Uh, I think it goes way back. I think it's based on a Jack London novel from like the twenties or something. Oh wow! I thought it was a CBC staple. Like I think like there it was too. There was a TV series, yeah. That's what I mean, I'm thinking of. One of those. Uh, okay, oh. the, one of the other ones was Stelvio Massey, and I guess it's the one in between Highway Racer and this, because uh, these are 77, 78, 78. Uh, Fearless, or Liziato Senza Pura. Policeman, or Cop Without Fear. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Anyway. Yeah, fun. I I, I want to see more of the collaboration between these two, and we'll definitely have to check out some of his uh, Umberto Lenzi ones. One of those is in the stack that continues from here. Cool. Yeah. No, I'm definitely into it because, uh, yeah, uh, like these two movies with the same director and same star, completely, and even the same kind of arc, but completely different. Very different style, very different tone. This one's a much more serious movie. Uh, this one's also a lot more dense than Highway Racer. A lot more story, yeah. A lot. Well, it's lot two two movies. <laughs> it is two movies. <laughs> he he, uh, he has the whole arc in the first town, and then he goes down in flames, and he has to come back for the sequel in another town. Yeah, yeah. It's like season one and two of The Wire. Uh, well, yeah, it's not really all that. The other dense. people, no, yeah. it's not because uh, it is. He's Just kind of McNulty. Only is a bit of a McNulty. <laughs> he's a he's very McNulty. If McNulty were more trigger happy, mm-hmm. so we open with a uh, homeless guy just waking up and going about his day. Uh, he gets up from his newspaper bed, stretches, goes for a walk, and oh no, a body in the river. Teenage girl with her throat slit like professionally. Yeah, oh, real gross wound, too. Uh, we get some good gore in this. Um, so, or some good squibs, at least. Some good gunshots. Yeah, there, there's a, I, I think it's a staple of this uh, genre. Is you do get some crazy gun violence in most of them. I, I would say Highway Racer is sort of an anomaly in that fact, in that uh, sense. You just get the car violence in that one. 
Mm -hmm. This one has a little of both, but it's mostly gun violence. Right. And Detective Olmi comes onto the scene. Our great Merle, he he rules. Uh, Yeah, he is our quote-unquote hero. Uh, Although, he arguably does not get results in the first part. Well, it's not his fault that he's not getting results in the first part, though. This one is completely an issue of a system that is going against him. I mean, he is also... (laughs) <laughs> he's he's also bad like he's he, he is using excessive violence he is uh torturing people uh, yeah i uh, i can't condone what he does but no he like he's he, the way he gets like his sights set on the main bad guy of the first one is just so incredibly wrong and so backwards that like i thought that it would just turn out that him and the first witness were just Yes, anding each other to a conspiracy, him to get the answer he wants, and her to get him to stop beating him up. And it just turned out to, and that the guy would be innocent. But of course, none of these movies ever go the way I think they're gonna. No, I I think you're thinking too much like a modern movie that is supposed to have a twist. Yeah, these movies exactly. are all exactly what they're supposed to be. They're all very <laughs> straightforward. They're telling you what they're about, and then they play that thread out. Mhm. So, uh it's a com- so he finds out that uh that there was a car from one of the witnesses who was very very carefully eyeing like the whole exchange between three people while he was pumping gas. He got the license plate numbers and found out yeah, there were three people, two were fighting. It was a whole this first crime is complicated. Well, it's not complicated. It's just it's a roundabout way to get to the main guy. So after getting the plate numbers for the car, uh, they get a call in to find that a car has been torched and the person inside has been burnt to a crisp. And it's the car that was involved in the first murder. Where the, and isn't there also the dead body in it? The, of the There's other the, yeah, person? the dead body of the guy, Augusto, uh, Maria's boyfriend, is in the car. Right. So, <laughs> so we smash cut to Olby. Uh, slapping this girl around in the office who was uh, a friend of Augusto and uh, Maria. And he is just slapping her. It's like, what do you know about the crime? What do you know about the crime? Yeah, I mean, this is what I'm saying. He kind of just goes too quickly to the most violence. There's no pause in between. It's like, well, now the next thing to do, obviously, is to... uh, completely uh just go over the top with it oh yeah and and she's not even supposed to really be a suspect she's just someone who knows them he's he jumped the gun on suspecting her and jumped the gun on slapping her but it's okay because he happens to be right well i mean yeah he's got to be right it's it's the Mulder thing again you you gotta be (laughs) the Mulder. you gotta have the plot armor you can't be a loose cannon if you don't get results yeah uh, so it turns out that uh, Maria had another boyfriend, this rich guy named Marcelo, who I think he looks like Michael Sarah. You said he looks like uh, Sean Astin. Oh, let's take a skate on down there, Frodo. Yeah, he does look like Sean Astin. Like it's it's a sort of a slimmer Sean Astin, like a young Sean Astin. See, I was thinking an older Michael Sarah. Hmm. Hmm. Have you ever seen Sean Astin and Michael Sarah together? 
I don't know. I don't really think they've got kind of a similar look. They don't have a similar (laughs) vibe, though. They're not the same, no. (laughs) But neither do Clark Kent and Superman, I'm just saying. Yeah, they kind of, I mean, that's that's the whole gag, that they do that uh, uh, Clark Kent is Superman's uh, criticism of humanity. I can't remember which movie that is. I know it's a Quentin Tarantino speech, but I don't remember if it's a Tarantino movie that it's in. Mm, okay. Right? You know what I'm talking about? Um, I think so. maybe. <laughs> I think maybe it's in Four Rooms. Might be in oh. Four Rooms. Okay, I haven't seen that. Mm. He, he, you know, he argues that uh, how lame Clark Kent is, is that it's Superman as a god cosplaying as a human and just showing how shitty and inferior they are all the time. He's <laughs> okay, a coward. That's, yeah. That's honestly a hilarious idea. I don't like it. <laughs> I do too. I'm into it. <laughs> oh, look at me. I'm ordinary human Clark Kent. I'm afraid <laughs> of puddles. Like an ordinary human. <laughs> this is what I think of you people. <laughs> yeah. Man. If Superman were smarmy about how shitty humans were, that'd be funny. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, there there are probably versions of him that are. And I mean, that that's the whole premise of that website, Super Dickery, which is just a huge, vast collection of all of the stupid things that Superman has done over the years. <laughs> so he gets some information and finds out that or finds out rather more like decides that Marcelo killed Augusto and Maria just based on the testimony of this woman who he's just been beating the shit out of. And my favorite part is like, it'll pan to the side and it's just like the Bob Barker thing where we'll see like these two cops just watching him beat the shit out of her. And it does this a few times. So he goes, he goes after this Marcelo guy. He finds the black Volkswagen that he supposedly drives and is like, Hey, Whose Volkswagen is this to this group of like, I don't know, yuppies. And when nobody steps forward, he starts smashing it and the Sean Aston guy gets up. Well, it's it's much it's it's sort of a more it's it's the adjusted version of how he goes to meet the gang in Highway Racer, uh, where, you know, that one he shows up and he just acts cocky and is ready to start a race. This one he uses his violence. Oh, he, he starts smashing the <laughs> he windshield. Using his race, bef- like racing skills. Oh, I got you. His racing hobby, and now it's his violence hobby. So he just hauls this guy off, this rich guy's son. Uh, hauls him off twenty feet over to the side and starts beating the shit out of him by a tree. A really rich kid in front of like a country club. It's- so he knows he's going to get caught, and he doesn't really care. No, he doesn't care at all. He's got cops with him who are watching him do this. And I love this conversation. The two cops, like, say to each other, you know, sometimes he really does go overboard, don't you think? (laughs) Sure. Yeah, a little, but what can you do? Yeah, what can you do? I mean, (laughs) what are we supposed to step in here? He'll use his violence against us. Yeah, no kidding. Um, Oh, Oh gosh, so there's so much stuff that happens. I skipped over the drive-by. Uh, oh yeah, there is there is a drive-by shooting in this. We're we're still only at like the 10-minute mark of the movie. This They crammed so much stuff into this first half. 
So the first half is specifically Rome. It's him in the big city, and it's showing how just the big city is absolutely overridden by violent crime. And it is a place that he makes sense in to a certain extent, but at a certain point, he becomes too much of a political hot potato to stay there. So they're like, okay, we're going to send you to cool down in a place that doesn't have crime. He's like, no, I'll find crime. <laughs> See, there's a smuggling ring, a convoy. I'll bust it. Well, it, also just the fact of him, we'll, we'll get to it, of course, but uh, that he decides that he's going to uncover a massive smuggling ring just because he had previously gotten involved with, like all of the stuff that happens in this first part is him going after this guy who is secretly a smuggler, but is an important upstanding citizen in public life. Yeah, and he's like the chief of customs or some big high right. up. Yeah. I, I think that's right. I think he is like the head of the customs bureau there. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> so, it, you know, that's a real easy position to become a smuggler in, obviously. Oh, yeah. And it turns out that's exactly what this guy did. And the, the it's just the trail of breadcrumbs that he uses to find him is so wrong. I mean, it's something. He gets there. That's he the main thing. He, get there. he does get there. I mean, he uses too much violence to get there, so it sort of skips some weird steps. Uh, a real case would have had to have been built around this that he wasn't interested in doing because he just wants to nail the guy and he'll just shoot him. That's fine. He he yeah. wants to shoot him. That's that's the whole end game. Yeah. But uh, just that uh, as soon as he gets to the other town, you know, smuggler is on his mind it's it's like he's got a word of the day calendar and i mean smuggler is the new one and it's like oh man i hate smugglers now i'm gonna go after smugglers this time yeah and it's like he gets called into this random crime he's like hey are you guys related to smugglers in some way no no you sure you didn't smuggle that gun in like hey where'd you get that gun like oh that gun was smuggled by somebody <laughs> no, dude, we found it on the beach. The smuggling beach? I don't know, man. I was like, well, it was it was obviously dropped by smugglers if you just found a gun on the beach. <laughs> Nobody's there's no violent crimes that anyone is uh dropping guns around for here. I'm going to follow my violent sense. And he's right. And he's right. He he's never wrong. He's only ever wrong about whether or not he can succeed at catching the first big high-profile guy. Well, and even there, it's it's not anything he does. It's because he's hamstrung yeah. by other people in the investigation. His violence would have worked. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which, yeah, but... you know, I mean, as, as a statement, it's not ideal for these movies, <laughs> but th- that is sort of what much, uh, much of the Poliziotesky genre is about. It's like, well, we know violence is bad, and uh violence begets violence but it seems to be the only thing that works <laughs> state sh- sanctioned violence is okay yeah <sighs> so he learned after beating the hell out of this guy for a bit he learns uh that the guy that the dude's dad was in fact involved in smuggling diamonds uh, his girlfriend found out and the dad had him had them killed and he was, in fact, just a patsy. Just, you know, just like everything said, it all fell into place. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, kind of grim. It's just, you know, they, they overheard something that the dad said on the phone, or he thinks they did. So, 
they all had to die. It was like they're teenagers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, well, whatever. Yeah, basically. Fuck. So it it, it is like it's to put you on the side of Olmi that I mean, yeah, this guy needs to go. Yeah, for sure. Um, so he goes like immediately to arrest this guy. He's like in his office. He's like, I got a warrant for your arrest, so I'm going to arrest you. I think <laughs> the guy just no sells. He's like, no, you don't. The judge. I don't feel do like I'm under arrest. <laughs> yeah, it's exactly that. I don't feel like I'm under arrest. Oh, Judge Gargany's side. This, yeah, no, Judge Gargany's is my judge. Okay. Yeah, uh, family. <laughs> <laughs> So why don't you why don't you spare me your bad cop routine? Is what he says to the what he says to <laughs> It's not a routine, baby. <laughs> it's not a routine. This is how I treat criminals. It's all I know. This is me now. <laughs> <laughs> so he meets with the judge later on in the office, the judge who like signed the warrant, and the judge is like, You fucking embarrassed me, okay? So the guy whose confession you extracted with brutal violence recanted his confession, which you extracted with brutal violence, and I I hate you, and I'm a judge, and I'm just going to make your life hell because of this, and you're not – you're off the case. Well, I mean, obviously the whole thing is really just that the judge is in the other guy's back pocket or yes. their buds or something, or maybe he's in on the smuggling scam and he doesn't want the breadcrumb trail coming back to him because he knows he'll get the violence too. <laughs> yeah. He's not immune. Yeah. Suspending this guy never occurs to anybody though. Oh, I don't think he's done anything that they can suspend him for. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, all of this is by the book. <laughs> you know they do say that at the press conference in like the they next do. scene it's like no you know we we use the normal amount of violence we didn't use excessive violence <laughs> the normal amount uh i i i do i mean it is a it is a question of whether they're protecting themselves by protecting him you know a, a, as an institution you know you you protect them so yeah, you know the the same thing that always goes on, but I I don't because they he is kind of causing trouble. I there's they're super not willing to make any kind of an example of him. <laughs> so maybe it is just by the book. Maybe, yeah. So this the chief strips him down is like, okay, you're not in homicide anymore. You're too heavy handed. Um, also, Vegan gets to go free because of all this shit with the judge and the false confessions and blah blah blah. We're putting you or <laughs> you we're moving to you go... to the emergency squad. <laughs> Where do you not want to land, McNulty? Now we're putting you on the boat, man. And he like that. That's like it immediately popped in my mind because they do put him on a boat first. Yeah, but, <laughs> you know he's got a whole boat and helicopter squad. They made a huge mistake. They they gave him all the toys. It's yeah, like, they, all right, we're going to put you with the people who come to the first, are the first responders to the biggest, most dangerous things. And like, oh, I'm ready. <laughs> He's like Kevin Dirkman. I'm ready, mama. <laughs> uh, tone it down, all me. Nah. <laughs> this is a punishment, not a reward. Are you serious? He's like, I'm pretty sure it's a reward. I'm going to treat it as one so long. <laughs> it doesn't take long before he gets to test out his uh, 
his helicopter authority. Oh man, it, this is like the scene that immediately had me for the movie because I was enjoying it up to this point. But when we get the slow motion sequence of him riding on that guy in the helicopter, just, we we see his <laughs> gun's eye view of the the field as he's flying over, and we we just see just the guy's back blow out as he just blows him away from the yeah, helicopter, he's like trying desperately to turn and point his gun at a helicopter that's coming right at him and oh it's so and you good. got just uh the the score is awesome too i think it's another uh uh stelvio cipriano uh, cipriani i really liked the score in this one except there's one particular song that uh, i'll talk about it but mostly i liked the score for this a lot it felt kind of carpenter light a little bit in some places sort of a pre-carpenter because it, it isn't synthy it's got more of just a, uh it's more of a psychedelic rock beat to it it's got that low bass it's got just a good beat to it uh, especially at this point where you, you get the helicopter's slow-mo attack it, it really amps up and it's like oh this rules <laughs> yeah so what's happening here is uh they're they're doing a prisoner transfer and of course some guys and important to note, like, this is just a criminal of the week. These guys are not in any way connected to either of the main villains. And and I think it's kind of interesting. He he does take out a bunch of criminals who aren't related to the main bad guys in this. It okay, kind of I mean, feels like a, it's, it's episodic. There's a whole yeah. bunch of stuff that he's doing. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, they they, uh, they dress up as policemen uh, to set up a roadblock where they kill the actual policeman and take out the prisoner, drive away with him, and they're planning to escape, but Olmi's got his helicopter. He's got his emergency response vehicle. Yeah, and, and it rules. Yeah, he, he flies in and he takes him out. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, he, these guys have been established as really bad. They did kill a bunch of people. They are breaking someone out yeah. of prison who was a murderer. Yeah, yeah, and they've got like automatic weapons. They fought, they did fire on him first as well, in mm. fairness. But uh, he did provoke them. He literally said, "Hey, I'm going to fly next to them, and let's just see how they react." Well, yeah, but it's like, oh, good, they reacted with violence. Now it means it's okay if I react with violence. And yeah, we get that scene of him gunning down the one last guy. That slow motion one that you that described. Amazing. Oh, it's, beautiful. it's so good. And we smash cut to a press conference where the chief has to explain. Here's where he's like, yeah, no, this was the normal amount of violence. Yeah, it was just a normal amount of violence. It's nothing to be concerned about. And he's he has to transfer him again, right? Uh, or does he stay on the response squad? Because there's one more thing and then he has to be booted to the other town. Uh, there, There is one more thing, yes. I can't uh, remember if he got transferred first, though. Uh, not yet. Okay. Not that's that's soon, but uh, he gets up in front of the press conference, and and they're like, "Hey, uh, so how come you were so violent? And or why are you so violent? How many of them have you actually arrested and brought in, and you know, did due process for?" He's like, "Oh, well, listen." You see, they're all dead. I I can't process people who are dead. We could process them into meat, if you'd (laughs) like that, but uh, they're not available to uh, go to jail. I've taken them out of the system, you see. 
Oh, I'm doing so a public like, service. Violence is all I know. This is me now. <laughs> yeah, yes, he's they're literally asking like, "Hey, so what do you think you're better than the judge?" No, but I can help him out a little. Yeah, come on. This is sort of my job, right? I I help. I help the judge. Also, that judge, I'm better than that judge. That judge oh, doesn't well, know his shit. That judge sucks. But yeah, he does say to the whole press conference, like, yeah, this is all I know. What else am I supposed to do? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, this is all I know was so funny. The violence <laughs> is all I know. Don't you understand? It's It, it works. <laughs> the other version of me only knows race cars. and I only know violence. And this just happens to be what we need in this situation. And one press guy, one guy, like, takes him aside and asks him, is like, hey, so this shit with uh, Degan, the the smuggling guy that you're obsessed with, uh, the case is officially closed, right? And he says to the guy, oh, the case is closed, but not for me. No, the case is happily resolved. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it does a fast close-up on his face as he says it. Oh, rules. And, and at this point, I even have written in my notes, like, how the hell does this guy not keep not getting suspended? Because he gets results. <laughs> he gets, I guess he gets results. All those escape guys are dealt with. They're yeah. really dealt with. They're permanently dealt with. They, that's true. They, you don't have to worry about them escaping from prison ever again. Nope. 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 Uh, so now they're raiding a more different. They're they're raiding some random farmhouse. This is another one of the random crimes that doesn't have anything to do with anything. And this one's cool. He shoots the. I don't know what these guys were. Oh wait, I do know what these guys were doing. This is an important crime. But yeah, he approaches this farmhouse. Don't ask me how they knew that anything was going down in this farmhouse. That never got explained. In this kind of community, in a farm community, people see people doing stuff. You, you see someone doing something they're, they're not supposed to be, someone's going to notice you. And that's a good point, I guess. I imagine there's probably a lot of busybodies around. So I like this one. He, when he, when he shows up, the girl reaches to get a, to get her gun, and he shoots her right through the wrist. And you see kind of a POV shot of the wrist yeah. getting shot. And, oh yeah, here's where I noticed that the synth score was kind of, felt kind of, I thought it was a synth score. Are you saying it's not? It's like I don't a, think it is. I, okay. I Like, it might have some synthesizers in it, but uh, not really that common in the, uh, in, in Stelvio Cipriani. Usually more of an orchestral thing. Okay. Well, either way, it worked. It was rad. Uh, it's cool. And after shooting a bunch more people, but successfully arresting and not killing one of them, uh, he finds a bunch of cocaine or powdered diamonds or something. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's supposed to be drugs because he tastes it, right? That, that's how he'd recognize it. You, you wouldn't taste oh, you, you wouldn't powdered taste diamonds. I would shred the also, fuck out of your insides. Also, you wouldn't. You wouldn't have powdered diamonds and store them in plastic bags. That's a good point. <laughs> yeah, no, that doesn't make any sense. So this isn't uh, connected to the main crime. <laughs> no, I mean, it's it's another smuggling crime. Yeah. Uh, just broadly, he is busting all sorts of smugglers. It's just they're not convoys. Mm -hmm. And he's just the one buster. Yeah. Ghost buster. <laughs> 
<laughs> just it's just uh, Dan Aykroyd by himself. Yeah, he couldn't really get any support. He he just had this great idea. Or is it? I, I think it's maybe. It's I think Bill it's Murray? Egon. I think it's Egon who uh, creates the tech. Uh, it's been so long. I don't remember. Oh, I've seen that movie a billion times. <laughs> Fairly certain it's Egon. Mm, I've only seen it like three times. Oh wow! And... I've seen it like uh, probably at least sixty times. <laughs> I believe it. So after dealing with the farmhouse thing and not using the full amount of violence, remember he took one alive. He's learning, maybe. It's growth. Yeah. Uh, he he does actually get some growth from this point, like a little bit, uh, when he starts feeling bad for what he does. Uh, he gets some information about Degan because, as he said, he is not off of this case. And even though he publicly announced it, nobody seems to like try to stop him from getting off of this case. No, I mean, he's still a cop. He's still got the power to follow the case. I mean, who's going to stop him? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> His buddy even says, like, hey, you're not on homicide. I'm not supposed to be giving you this shit anymore. Anyway, here you go. Like, But I, I guess I will. I wouldn't want you to use your violence on me. <laughs> well... Yeah, there is always that with the violent <laughs> cop. I mean, you're always... There's an underlying threat. I mean, the first violence we see is him beating up a teenage girl who should just be a witness. So, yeah, I guess he could use violence on anyone to get his way. By the way, there is a movie called Violent Cop, and it's a <laughs> it's a Takeshi Kitano, a beat Takeshi. Oh. It's a good oh. movie. Yeah. Cool. Uh, it, I think what, yeah, it was his directorial debut. Oh, interesting. Right yeah, on. We'll, we'll totally have to watch it sometime. It's a blast. Yeah. All right. Cool. Uh, so he gets this information from this guy that he's not supposed to have and finds out that, that uh, Degan's got this warehouse or something. It's like garage, a shed, a warehouse. And he goes to investigate it and he gets attacked by some goons. He shoots the first one. The other two, or the other three or four, I'm not really sure, they all get in their car and they try to drive away, or they're trying to escape, but they get stuck and the doors won't open because they're too close to, like, the high ledge beside the car, and he just shoots the gas tank, and of course it explodes because, you know, action movie, police, car, shoot, gas tank. I mean, it happened in a previous movie. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, it's, it's supposed to. It needs to. It's a but staple. This time, the guy doesn't die instantly, and this actually really bothered me because the last time I saw something in this context, uh, it wasn't meant to be funny. It was the guy running around on fire. It just yeah. reminded me of the Slumdog Millionaire. I'm like, this isn't – seeing dudes on fire isn't funny anymore, and it never actually should have been, and I need to examine that myself. Yeah, it depends on who it is. Yeah. But uh, he, <laughs> Olmi, apparently kind of feels the same way. It's, he's like, oh, maybe I have gone too far. And he like tries to put the dude's fire out. Well, it's kind of like the end of Highway Racer. It's you know him at the burning wreckage there. And he's like, ah, yeah, no, that's not great. I don't really intend to cause that sort of level of harm. But right there, uh, the credits rolled before he had to have any... Uh, any introspection or personal crisis. oh no i i mean in this one highway racer there there was obviously no chance of that we saw oh. the body just burning in the wreckage oh yeah no no here he's like 
oh yeah he this is like the beginning of his personal growth arc he's like maybe i should know something other than violence maybe it shouldn't be all i know but he's apparently got enough evidence from this warehouse as he hands uh, he hands a folder to the judge and i love it because it looks like it's just got deegan written in child sharpie and the judge is like okay well i'm gonna need six hours to look over this and give you a warrant and he's like can't right do it now so he i mean it it is uh really obvious that he's gonna go warn him yes and oh, super obvious and he knows it he's like ah, well i'm just gonna go I'll, I'll be back in an hour i'll 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 come back and you'll be done with it. You'll tell me what time you'll be done with it. And I'll be right back here. And he comes back and, oh, well, I, no, you, you can't go in. He's not going to be ready until tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> or no, well, someone first, else phones. Yeah, he says to him, he's like, no, the judge is gone. He'll be back in an hour. So he sits down and someone else calls. It's like, no, the judge is taking the day off. He he won't be back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and just like the slow close up on Olby's faces. He's like listening. He's like, wait a second. I've just been hornswoggled. And it's like, you son of a bitch. I can't <laughs> believe it. Yep. And of course, he runs He runs over to the warehouse and finds everything's gone. Naturally. Yeah, it's all cleaned out. I mean, they gave him, or he, he gave them enough time, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. He didn't mean to. Yeah, uh, but and... <laughs> he, he tried to do it by the book this time, and uh, the book was bad. The book was wrong. Yeah, the book was wrong. The violence would have been right. So now he's like, I'm going to fucking take down that judge. I'm going to go talk to my body. What, what, what recourse do I have to take down a judge? <laughs> yeah. And the chief is like, well, uh, absolutely none, man. This is Chinatown, okay? Yeah, it's like, you, you, you want to take out a judge? Maybe you need to go on that vacation you wanted that I wanted you to go on before. Yeah, he's like, you are, they will destroy you. Seriously, I won't stop you from doing this, but I won't help you. And he just looks at the chief, he's like, I fucked up again, didn't I? And chief's like, yep. And uh, he's like, maybe, maybe I want to be transferred somewhere really far away. And the chief's like, okay, bye, we'll miss you. Yeah, we're going to send you to a vacation town. It turns into the opening of Hot Fuzz, where uh, he they they send him to a place where he's way too city violent for their quiet little town. He's like, no, no, I'll uncover all sorts of corruption. <laughs> yeah, so we get the montage of uh, whatever the beach town is called. It looks pretty nice, honestly. I wouldn't mind living there. Especially uh, being a cop. I think it's Marche. Marche? Okay. Because uh, oh. it, 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 uh, Nova Marche. Uh, so it's, it's in the south. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. No, one important thing. After getting transferred, but before actually going, he tries one more time to investigate the judge's warehouse or uh, the smuggler's warehouse. Mm. And he hears a footstep behind him, so he turns around and shoots, and he shot and killed a uniformed security guard. Oh, yeah. And he's just, yeah. And this is when he's just kind of like, oh, fuck. 
it should have turned out to be uh, an American agent, and then in the the <laughs> beach town, he could have been followed around by a guy with like a cigar, who's just like, "I'm <laughs> keeping my eye on you." If I find out you're corrupt, I'll kill you. I'm being framed for murder. <laughs> I I think Merlin would just shoot him. <laughs> I think he would. <laughs> International incident, my ass. It's like, are you threatening me? Me? <laughs> you know I'm like J. Edgar Hoover's second in command, right? I don't know who that is, so die. Yeah, nothing ever comes of this uh, security guard he shot. And the way it shot, it kind of looks like he just shot him and left and didn't tell anybody. I mean, probably, they, you know, somebody died and they're like, yeah, well, uh, you know, it happened during the 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 fucking criminal thing whatever i mean what what can we do yeah maybe anyway it never gets referenced again well it's we're in part two he doesn't get consequences of any kind that's never a thing no he gets he gets it's like you said yeah like a catholic priest he gets shuffled around but he never actually gets punished of course not He, he just keeps getting cooler and cooler assignments like hey now you get a helicopter now you get a relaxing beach beach job where you can put your feet up and like buy fish with the hot girl yeah but he doesn't want to do that violence yeah yeah that's true that's true so like the first thing that happens well obviously first everybody in the little uh new police department is like oh man we're gonna have to deal with this city guy this sucks i don't like this at all yeah and then the first crime he has to deal with is drunk vacationers <laughs> but yeah. he rolls it into smuggling well, <laughs> well the first crime he has to deal with is some dudes hitting on the girl at the oh, coffee right, bar yeah. which he turns into a tavern brawl at a coffee bar which apparently impresses the girl he doesn't suffer any consequences for trashing this coffee bar because he just says hey i'm a cop and these guys apparently started it even though we see that they did not so this is anna uh, oh the... she has a name anna the the only lady in the movie there's, <laughs> there's other ladies but they don't have names or well that's what i mean lines. she's she's the only actual character in the movie and continuing the tradition of lady characters in these movies it's a bit of a stretch to call her a character she's there to be his love interest, and to get taken hostage. She's literally Princess Toadstool. I'm just looking, Anna, she's... I think she plays Prince's mom in Purple Rain? <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just like, so it's it's Olga Carlados, and she is, she plays mother in uh, Purple Rain, and I'm pretty sure it is Prince's mom. Okay, cool. That rules. I love Purple Rain. Great movie. I like her. I she has a she has like a cool stern face. Uh, she's she, a horror she, lady. I have seen her in a bunch of horror movies as well. Like she's in Murder Rock, which is fun. She's in Zombie Two. Uh, let's see, Damned in Venice, Kiyomo, which is a, a western that I've got a spaghetti western that I've got hanging around that we haven't watched yet. Cool, cool. She's in Once Upon a Time in America. The big final Sergio Leone film. Oh, interesting. Yeah, she she's got a horror person's face. 
Yeah, she's got a very uh, severe look to her. It's not unlike a Barbara Steele. Uh, she's got a good gothic horror kind of look. Oh, yeah. Yeah, totally. She doesn't get to do anything in this movie. No, it's, it's a Polizia Teske. I forgot that there was a woman in it until you mentioned her just now. And <laughs> well, I'm like, oh, yeah, Olga Carlados. Let me see here. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, they have to have a woman because otherwise he needs somebody to watch the porn with to discover the smuggling ring in this town. Oh, yeah. <laughs> now, this smuggling ring is a little ridiculous. and We're going to uncover it pretty slowly. But we also aren't going to be distracted by uh, Criminal of the Week because there isn't any of that in this town. No, there's really nothing else. He He's just like, I have all the time in the world to build my case against the smugglers and uh, nobody's going to mess with me here. <laughs> yeah, because every crime in this town is all just connected to the one crime. Well, yeah, it's a trickle down crime. So the first thing is these drunk vacationers, right? Yes. Yeah. Where the, the drunk like Americans or. I think, I think. they are. I, I'm pretty sure they are. No, maybe they're British. Do they have maybe a British accent? Because they, uh, they're definitely, they definitely have, they speak in English. They, they, they're English speakers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't I'm not sure. their accents. But anyway, they, they, they find a gun on the beach. We, we don't know about this, but I guess they found this gun on the beach and they decide to terrorize the empty what is it a baseball diamond or something it's like a racetrack racetrack yeah and they're they're terrorizing the the ground it's closed it's closed not open or anything they're just messing with the guy who works there and he freaks out yeah he freaks out long before they pull the gun right because they're just yeah i mean he's an old man who is a groundskeeper for this racetrack and like oh. they're literally on his lawn yeah they're on his lawn so he calls the police like oh you've got to help they're they're going to destroy the flowers <laughs> also they have guns and they're literally they're they're shooting at me but the flowers though yeah and, and <laughs> oh man old me he's fired up he's like oh shit guns i know how to deal let's, with these let's mobilize in fucking force <laughs> all these other people like guns i don't know that's that's a pretty heavy business it's like i've been waiting for this (laughs) yep so they set up all like five snipers in the stadium and one just like shoots the tire out of one of the bikes take the shot Uh, and and then of course he immediately rushes over and starts beating the shit out of the guy he's like (laughs) i'm just a tourist i'm sorry i'll tell you anything you want to know where did you get the gun and he's trying to tell him, but he doesn't speak Italian, so he just keeps getting more hit. <laughs> yeah, he's like pistol whipping him with, with the gun. Like, where did you get this gun I'm beating you with? We found it on the beach. Where on the beach? Hmm. <laughs> Guns so, gotta come from somewhere. Guns gotta come from somewhere. It's not like America where you can just find him lying around. Or go to Walmart. Yeah, I mean, you, you can buy them. Lots of places. Yeah, but you know, in Europe, I, I I imagine it's harder to get a hold of one, which is why bit. smuggling exists. Yeah. So he goes to the beach in the spot where he said the gun was, and he doesn't find anything at first. But then there's tire tracks, tire tracks, and a busted tail light cover. Yeah. 
So he goes to the only trucking company in town. Which makes sense because it's a little yeah. seaside vacation town. They don't have a lot of, they don't have like a port. Yeah, no, this would be a hell of a lot harder if it was Rome. He would not have found these guys. Yeah, going to be a lot more places that he has to look. So he finds yeah. them and the guy's totally cooperative. Yeah, it's like, hey, well, I'll let you know. I'll do an inspection on the trucks and let you know if I find one with the taillight. Oh, hey, look, there's one with the taillight missing. He pulls the piece out of his pocket and he fits it on there. It's like, yep, this is the one right here. He's like, oh, I don't know what the hell it would be doing on the beach. Yeah, the the driver of the truck or the, the owner of that trucker, however it works, is like, oh, man, no, it's these two guys who I hired to drive this truck. They demanded I hire them. And every Friday they go, they take this truck out to do I don't know what. So he follows them. Yeah, every Friday, huh? And he, yeah, he follows them and they go out. They go out to this beach and. uh or no, wait, they, he doesn't follow them right away. Uh, he's he's talking about the case to his girlfriend, and they turn on the pornography. This is important, believe it or not. The pornography is very important. And also, I guess they show network pornography in Italy after midnight. That's different cultures, man. Nudity is a lot more common on TV in Europe, yeah. Yeah, I guess. Uh, just weird to... Because it's, it's just not over here yes people are much more prudish about it in north america especially yeah. in the u.s less so in canada but uh, it's heavily influenced but you, you still aren't gonna see straight up like naked dancing on cbc after midnight no not usually you? but you see nudity sometimes on cbc it's not unheard of yeah, and that's true like and and cbc also had swearing I, as I recall, when I was a kid, where you definitely did not get that on any American networks that were coming in. I can remember watching Kids in the Hall and being amazed because they uh, had lots of swearing and that was not censored. Some of the radio stations in Canada don't censor out the swearing from tragically hip songs. Mm, they shouldn't. I agree. So it's but infantile. It's, <laughs> they, I agree that they shouldn't, but it's neat <laughs> that they don't. Yeah, no, it's good. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, they turn on the porno. Yeah, they turn on the porno, and that's when he gets the phone call like, hey, now the trucks are on the move, and now he's following them. Yeah, and I think the thing is not so much that it's a broadcast or a network thing. It is, it seems to be like closed circuit for the hotel that they all are in. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, I Yeah, I didn't really get... How I mean, it's what? definitely a very small local station that oh, is yeah. just broadcasting to a very small audience. <laughs> to one boat, it turns out, and anyone else who just happens to pick it up. Yeah, so the, it's it's what they turn out. It's the signal for the smugglers. Yeah, yeah. Whenever there's a load, they, the, the publisher, the guy who's doing the smuggling, the wealthy guy, uh, I guess he owns the TV station as well or whatever. So yeah, they, they put on... They put on the porno to signal. They put on big loads. <laughs> it's called. It's actually called Sweet Dreams. I know, but oh, big loads would have been great. <laughs> Convoy. Convoy busting. Uh, yeah. So, so he goes out to see the other boats, and he's in his speedboat. But somebody at the at the wharf notices him and calls the TV station. So. Uh, so they take the porno off the air, and that's the signal to the guys like, hey, the operation's suspended. 
and then they're able to be ready for the cop when he comes and it's like hey we're just fishing yeah where's your nets nothing strange about us nope just fishing at midnight you know how it is without any fishing nets perfectly normal well he's got nothing on them yeah can't really do anything with them. no he can't do anything with them and this is a new town so you don't want to start with the violence right away trying to turn over a new leaf maybe but he knows oh he's like okay there's something going on here and somehow they were they were signaled so how do i uh root this out and of course the porno is the clue although it takes a while to sort it out yeah because the wife tells him like she kept watching the porno after after he left and it's like hey yeah it's the weirdest thing as soon as you left they switched it to a movie Mm -hmm. and somehow he pieces it together well, it is weird that they would just randomly suddenly switch programming the second he stepped out the door like they were watching him. It's like, okay, that's strange. That's uh, not something I'm really used to happening. That's, uh, that, that's suggestive of them kind of maybe being in on it. it. It's it's a leap, but it mm-hmm. works. He does test it out before he jumps to any more conclusions. Uh, he gets the guys to go to the TV station and be like, hey, don't play it Friday at midnight. Play it Thursday at 11. That's when we want to see it, and we're the cops, so you have to do what we say. And don't tell anyone ahead of time. Yeah. Don't warn anyone. And of course, they have no way of warning them. This is how they signal them. Yeah, yeah. so they turn it on at Thursday at 11, and everybody does the thing. The boats go out, the trucks go out. It's really funny at first, because it starts playing, and they're in the town, or they're they're in their little hideout. I'm like, huh, it's playing. It's playing a day early. It's like, well... I mean, it's wrong, right? I'm like, well, I mean, if it's playing, I guess we go. I'm like, are you sure? Yeah, like, right. yeah. It, we got our orders. It, it's the signal. Yeah. <laughs> Might be a special load. <laughs> special load. Special load. Big load. Oh, heavy load coming. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> and, and yeah, the all the criminals are like, okay, what the hell? There is no shipment. Uh, let's drive directly back to the boss and be like hey what the fuck so there's and of course he's been following them he's been watching them yeah there's two trucks the one guy gets into the one and the other guy tries to get into the other but he's in there and he punches him out so he follows the truck to the boss's like main office and the guy comes out he's like hey what are are you even doing here man we're not doing anything today it's thursday it's tomorrow remember and only you know he gets out of the trucking he goes and hides and scurries away somewhere and it's like well yeah but we got the signal so we went out uh and the guy's like we didn't send a signal yeah well my buddy who is in the other truck right now and definitely hasn't been knocked out says he saw it and it's like well let's go talk to him that doesn't sound right and they go and there's no one there like well that's strange Shit, it's that fucking cop. <laughs> yeah, the dude pieces it together immediately. He's like, hey, um, somebody told, somebody made the radio station or the TV station put the thing up early and just uncovered our entire fucking operation. And the boss is like, fuck, we need to go now. The cop's probably here. Yeah, and he is. is. He's lurking somewhere. Yeah, he's lurking. So they, they pile into their their car and they drive off, but there's police roadblocks everywhere. He, he set this whole thing up. I mean, he did it by the book. Yeah. This is probably his most uh, proper police organized uh, uh, bust that he's done. He hasn't murdered anybody unjustly or he, he just punched that one yeah. guy. 
he he punched him out of the out of the moving vehicle, and that was fine. Yeah. He was okay. Yeah, he was fine. Oh, it wasn't moving when he punched him out of it. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah, he just punched him out. Yeah, yeah. No, completely by the book. And so they're like trying to escape the police roadblock, and and they do lose the cops. And everyone's like, "Okay, where did they go? Which road did they turn down? Which road did they?" And somebody runs up to Olmi is like, "Hey, your love interest. Remember how she's a school teacher." Uh, I didn't, but well, she's a school teacher anyway. Her class is being held hostage right now. It's like, oh, <laughs> they came now after it's my... time for my violence. <laughs> they came after my love interest. <laughs> and seriously, that's how I have her written down in the book. I never learned her name. I never saw it. But yeah, they they made a big mistake. <laughs> this is what he's waiting yeah. for. He's waiting for an excuse. Oh yeah, for sure. It's like. <laughs> Obviously, they didn't know they were going after the main guy's love interest, but it could have been like any school teacher, and he would have done the exact same thing. Oh, sure. I mean, it, it was just uh, a convenient uh, excuse, and this makes it personal. Yeah, so now it's personal. <laughs> so now he, uh, oh, uh, we missed the bit about him dramatically putting his gun in the drawer because he won't be needing it anymore, and every now and again, like dramatically taking it out and looking at it. Just the fir- the first time, him sitting down and just uh, opening that drawer, pulling out the gun, taking it out and just flexing it back and forth, moving it in the light. It's like, oh, gun, you're the only one who understands me. <laughs> and, and the other cop looks at him doing his and is like weirded out by it. He's like, do you want me to clean your gun? No, my gun. It's, it's mine thank you. <laughs> I just needed to look at it to center myself. Yep. So now he's dramatically loading bullets into the gun because it's time for the violence again. This is all- it's, the, it's the poster image. Yeah. The, the, the poster image has him with the revolver putting the bullets in. It's actually the main, sh- main image of the poster is this shot. Oh, cool, cool. So he goes in there's like this tense bit where we see every where we see where everybody is. The police are outside the building. Uh, the the guys are holding the children hostage. The teacher is trying to keep them all calm down. It's this really tense music, but every now and again, uh, the music will just make this boring, like a circus boinging sound. And I'm like, is this really appropriate? This is the part that I was talking about where the score just didn't work for me. It just I don't remember. Okay, it I, 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 the first time I saw it I had forgotten it afterwards, but then the second time I saw it I was like, "Oh yeah, what the hell?" It it's really weird. I think it's just a big bass drum like it could be. I don't know. I I'm used to it so it it's not something that struck me as strange <laughs> even didn't did not occur to me. Okay. Well, Olmi's plan uh, to get in is he gets this crane out and he uh, he's not good enough to Harold Lloyd his way up the building so he takes the crane to raise him up but he uses the crane to do this the thing where he swings and breaks through the glass window it's pretty rad he does like a full Errol Flynn right on through the classroom window guns ablaze guns fucking blazing just murdering all these criminals in front of his girlfriend and all the children who are not traumatized by this at all. And the girlfriend's like, yeah, I knew you'd save me. Yeah, he, he's a hero cop. Yeah. <laughs> he's, this is like the climax to a 90s action film. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They, they do the, like, the whole group hug with the children. He takes out these guys in seconds. There is no fight. 
Uh, I mean, th this is what he's been waiting for. He's been holding it back all these times. He's had the violence blue balls, and now... Just... Oh, yeah, got them all. And he got the big fish that he wanted. Maybe not the same big fish he wanted, but he got a big fish. He really got to shoot that big load. <laughs> <laughs> big loads. <laughs> Might have a double load coming tonight. Oh, no. <laughs> <sighs> And he puts the gun on the table and walks away from it. And that's our credits freeze frame. And that's it. That's the movie. Yeah. Gun is done for now. I, 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 my heroic bloodshed has completed. Yeah, it's a good set. It's a really fun movie. Yeah, um, it is definitely, uh, they tried to put two movies into one, but it works though. Uh, it's it, very it crammed is... full of incidents. So much happens in this movie. Yeah, but it is one arc for the guy, even if it's like a million things happening around him. Right. Um, which, I, yeah, I thought that was like at first I thought this was all like an episodic thing. But no, it, it follows one arc. You just one arc. <laughs> Shit. But yeah, he grows. He grows he, as a person. Yeah. He grows as a character. I really like. Maurizio Merli. I think he's a very good actor. I, I think too. he's got a lot of charm. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my thinking after watching this. I was like, you know, I think this guy might be a really good actor. I think he can play a bunch of different kinds of shitty cop, and I'd like to see more. And he's fun. Yeah, it's it's cool. I, I definitely look forward to seeing more of them. I've, I did enjoy him in The Tough Ones, which is one I had seen before. And there's probably a couple other that I've seen. I mean, he is a Poliziotesky guy, and I have seen more than a few. Mm -hmm. Even this one, where he's playing like the tortured, inconvenient cop, it's still fun to watch because he still has fun when he does his violence. Yeah, he's he's still charming. He he still has that kind of boyish energy of just really being into the job, mm -hmm. just for different portions of the job in this one. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Of the Poliziotesquis that I've seen, uh, this one, Colt 38, Special Squad, and um, Highway Racer. Highway I'm, Racer. Yeah. I'm going to say this this one's my favorite. That's fair. Uh, I, I would say probably... Hmm, it's close. Of though. those three. Yeah, of those three, I'd say, yeah, probably it's my favorite of the three. I would put Highway Racer pretty close. Yeah, Highway Racer is close to this. Colt 38... Feels like it tried to do the same thing this was doing and just put a whole bunch of story into one movie, but they didn't pull it off as well, I don't think. Well, you don't have any one presence that's as strong as Olmi or as Maritsu Murley as a character in it. That was the biggest detriment, I think. There wasn't a main character, really. Like, you had a main villain, and you had that whole crazy mad bomber plot and all of those great explosions, but there wasn't much tying them together. So, do you have any last thoughts before we move on to next week, uh, the third and final part? Podcasting with violence is all I know. It's all I know. This is all I know. Oh, cat didn't like that. Uh, the mic didn't like that. I didn't get it. Oh, <laughs> oh okay. Well, <laughs> it's I, what... I did the this is who I am, like screechy. It didn't work. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> Uh, all right, well, we'll yeah, uh, if you're ready, we'll move on to part three. It's not going to work. <laughs> okay, uh, let's uh, move on to part three. And we're back for part three of the Watched Stacks. We've got uh, 12 picks, 
for us to choose from the stuff that I watched on physical media in the past week, as well as one we watched together. Mm-hmm. So first up, we've got uh, the second one from the Mexican Gothic, uh, Carlos Enrique Tabulada box, Blacker Than the Night. This one has a cat on sitting on top of what looks like the villain from Homestuck. <laughs> it's a, a very stylized black cat on a skull. Uh, and it's it's a cat movie. It's a not really a killer cat movie. You got there. there's this old lady. She lives alone with her cat. Maybe the cat's magical. Uh, okay. Maybe the old lady's magical. Maybe the, la- the old lady's said to maybe be a bit of a witch. Anyway, she dies, and uh, her her whole estate goes to her only living relative, which is this distant niece. Okay. And so she moves into this house, and the only stipulation in the will is just, please take care of my cat. Uh, and uh, for some reason, she moves in with three friends who all hate cats, and they don't take care of the cat. The cat ends up dead. And oh. then, uh, you know... Uh, spirits get bloody revenge on them for not taking care of the cat well it's good that the people died but i'm sad that the cat had to die first i agree (laughs) Um, yeah okay (laughs) since i was mixed on it it was interesting but yeah there's it, it takes a really long time for there to be much retribution it's just I don't get what their beef is with the cat most of the time. It's like, whatever, it's just a fucking cat. Chill out. They're like terrified of it. It's cat. It'll steal your soul. Oh, no. One of those. those. (laughs) And and of course, one of them is a bird person. And they brought their bird into cage that they put in a room on a table that the cat's always on and never look at it again until, you know, the inevitable happens. Oh, Cats love to eat birds, and they love to knock things off of tables. They're like, I can't believe this has happened. Uh, This is uh, a crime. Anyway, next up. So they all knew there was a cat, right? Like, beforehand? Yes. It was in the will. It was the reason they got the house is, like, the stipulation is, and this is just a request, but please take care of my cat. (laughs) And they're all like, ugh, cats. I don't like cats. (laughs) What the hell, then? (laughs) A bunch of jerks. And there's a maid who will take care of the cat, but you know, anyway. <laughs> Next up, Heard She Got Married, which is another film from uh, the same people who made Metal Detector Maniac. Okay. Similar concept, but a very different tone. Uh, okay. You, you got our, our our main character. He's one of the same guys, one of the songwriters from the from Metal Detector Maniac. Right, who wanted to call the police because he had writer's block. Right. This one's a little less... It's it's not as comedic. Like, it, it has sort of jokes. It's got the same sort of low-key sense of humor, but it's uh, much more of a mood piece. It's kind of a noir. Okay. And it's, it's this guy, he's moved back to his hometown, and he was uh, an up-and-coming indie rock star, maybe like five or ten years back. And it just didn't work out. There was a blowout with his other best friend who was his co-songwriter. Okay. And he's come back to town and he's just not, uh, he, he's uh, not happy with the way things are, with the, the sort of status, uh, the, the way things have ended up. But he runs into this mailman who 
he's he starts telling everyone he's getting weird vibes from him and that this mailman is maybe obsessed with him and uh meanwhile he's sort of vaguely trying to restart his music career and for whatever reason he ends up hiring the mailman as his bassist sure that's what you do when somebody's <laughs> obsessed with you right and that's what everyone keeps saying to him like well why are you hiring him to work <laughs> with you if you're so concerned about it and it's uh just this whole slowly unweaving uh psychological plot uh, i thought it was really good the music's great i really like the songs okay uh, like the the main song heard you got married uh has been stuck in my head it's pretty great right on that's well that sounds interesting yeah 2021 too yeah you know a little independent film hmm. uh next deep blue sea <laughs> bigger smarter faster meter uh i mean dumber it's dumber 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 uh, <laughs> what a dumb fucking movie <laughs> i can't believe i haven't seen this this I'm actually shocked that you've never seen it. <laughs> I would have rented the shit out of this. I would back in the day. I would have thought I got a free copy of this with my DVD player. No joke. <laughs> uh... <laughs> this movie was like everywhere on everyone's B list. Yeah. I mean, it's not a good movie, but it's one that most people kind of agreed generally that it's a good, bad movie, but mainly on the strength of this one moment with uh, Sam Jackson where he's making a big speech and you know it's the big all right we're gonna all get this thing together and we're gonna work together and get out of this and then a shark pops out of the water and eats him instantly very famous <laughs> moment yeah I, I i just i can't believe i never got to this one particular uh popcorn flick yeah honestly i always have kind of disliked it <laughs> i i think that the plot weirdly invalidates itself there's a character that they set up to be the most important person to survive which <laughs> then they then they decide to save the chef played by ll cool j who has a rap song about <laughs> my hat is like a shark's fin deepest bluest my hat is like a shark's fin uh it's it's his song from the his rap song that plays over the credits from the point of view of the shark where he says he'll eat your whole family. Anyway, he's well. That's why you save it. <laughs> he's got a parrot sidekick. The I I I did send you the the two clips of the shark eating the parrot and then him exploding the shark and saying, "You ate my bird." <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, like. It, it, it's it's maybe a me problem this is that specific era from like 97 to 2005 ish that i feel blockbuster cinema hit its absolute dumbest point in history and i kind of hate most of the big blockbusters of that era so you're probably right <laughs> uh, i i probably agree with you because this one i i mainly came back to it after not having seen it for quite a while because i recently watched cliffhanger which is another rennie harlan film and mm -hmm. i had a blast with cliffhanger so i was thinking ah let's give deep blue sea a try again maybe it's more fun than i remembered it maybe maybe i've been the one who's wrong all along and i watched it it's still not having that much fun it still kind of pisses me off i don't know <laughs> no it is the children who are wrong it's probably still me that's wrong uh, 
Next up, Santo versus Evil Brain, the first Santo film. Oh, so how does that compare with the 48th one or whatever that we watched? Well, I'll tell you, they did not have the formula down yet. <laughs> say that for sure. There's not a great deal of Santo in it. Oh, uh, so this is I, I mean, it's maybe most interesting as a historical curiosity because it was filmed in Cuba during the revolution. Oh, and they were filming this and the sequel, Santo versus the Infernal Men, back to back or not not back to back simultaneously in Havana. And they uh, did not get finished because uh, Castro rolled into town and took over and they had to leave. <laughs> so the movies are a little disjointed and or i i this one at least is a little disjointed uh there's a lot of driving around the streets of havana it's like okay this is what the streets of havana were like just before castro took over i guess uh, they clearly needed to pad for time and used all the footage they had <laughs> should have gone to a rodeo i guess so i mean you couldn't or find one in cuba batch. A wrestling match would have made sense. There are no wrestling matches in this. That's also a big problem. That's why they needed to pad for time. They didn't have a wrestling match. But you could have cut to one. I couldn't believe that they didn't cut to one at some point. But uh, I guess it's, it's a sort of weird thing where he is. Well, it's strange. He's never even referred to as Santo. He's just El Mascarada, the masked man. Okay. And then there's his other guy, uh, uh, El Incognito, who shows up to help him. So the <laughs> mysterious one. <laughs> or the, uh, I, I think he, he has a different name in the Spanish language versus the credits or the, the English one. He's El Incognito in English, but I think he's El Misterioso in, <laughs> uh, in Spanish. Anyway, well, either way, he's bound to be a better sidekick than the cop from Doctor Death. Oh, so much better. They he like comes in. So the the thing is, right at the beginning, Santo gets taken captive and brainwashed, and then they're using mind control to use him to commit crimes. Well, a crime. They're mind controlling me, Dolby. Yeah, exactly. That that's all that happens. And he he does get mind controlled, and then you know El Misterioso he comes in the skylight, and they have a big wrestling match so they do have a luchador battle it's just it's diegetic rather than them going to a ring okay and then you know he is able to deprogram him and then they they foil the plot but santo is mostly not in it like he's got these couple scenes and then you know he shows up a bit at the end oh yeah I, i just like i had forgotten that that was one of the things i liked about the santo movie was that he uses the wrestling moves in his uh movie fighting that's true which is uh really cool you, you don't see that the rock well if the rock used the people's elbow in a movie it would be it'd be over for him <laughs> i mean maybe it would revive him at this point i feel like he is sort maybe. of getting at a point where he's become too insufferable for everyone that they're like, uh, do we want to work with The Rock anymore? If he pulled out a good old people's elbow, <laughs> might turn things around. Maybe. You're right. You're right. Well, next up is one that the two of us watched. Nope. Jordan Peele's new film. I'm not all that new at this point, but yeah. it's a, new to us. Weird. Hadn't watched it yet. Yeah. No. I, and I still managed 
so far I've gone into every single one of his films completely unspoiled, not even knowing like the gist of what it was about. And somehow I managed to do that with this one. Usually I have to see him on like opening day. Yeah, I mean, all of the other ones I have seen opening day in theater, or the other two, anyways. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one's great. I had a, I had a lot of fun with it. It doesn't feel as immediately complex as either of the previous ones. Yeah, I agree. I, I was thinking about it. I was like, well, he always has like a race element, and it's present in this, but it doesn't feel like it's the point of the story but maybe there's something i'm not seeing well so i i do have kind of a working theory on it and i kind of feel like i need to watch it again at least once because it was not the most optimal first viewing uh there (laughs) there there were roommates in and out there was a loud conversation with someone on the shower in the shower on speakerphone in the next room yelling back and forth for a solid half hour so (laughs) i I would want to give it a good solid rewatch maybe with an edible yeah oh oh god this would be fun this would be so much fun with it i think so the the creature see i don't want to talk too much about yeah i mean i think it's really interesting in terms of the whole discussion of animal behavior but my i i kind of have a working theory of uh sort of cop slash authority thing of uh not looking them in the eyes that uh is sort of percolating in my brain that I want to think of, but you know, one that I want to mull over a bit. It's good. I mean, it's great time. It's a really fun movie. The okay. Um, now you got my. Now you got me thinking because I because that would be where the race element would. Come yeah, in yeah, if, exactly. That, that's kind of what but, I'm thinking. Yeah, but uh, not ready to talk about. No, this no, yet. exactly. Oh, okay. But yeah, it's there. There's there's definitely a lot to pick apart in, and I think the characters are really interesting. I think Daniel Kaluuya is really fucking great in it, doing sort of a he Clint is, Eastwood performance. He is so good. Like he's doing a Clint Eastwood performance, but his dad is played by Keith David. He's playing. I feel like he's emoting a lot like how Keith David does. Yeah, yeah, I see that. Much more understated, though, like in the sort of Clint yes. Eastwood vein. Yes. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's it's a great time. Uh, you know, really great cast. Just a, a whole lot of fun. Uh, but yeah, one that I definitely want to mull over and, and take in another viewing at least once before I do too much of a discussion on it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Because uh, you just opened something <laughs> up for me. <laughs> yeah. So next up, we've got Two Orphan Vampires, which I believe is the final film by Jean Roland, although I have some others of his. All right. So uh, I've been eyeing this one in the stacks for quite a while. This is an interesting movie. Uh, it, it's just full of Roland's themes. It's got all of his stuff. He, uh, he, he, he ruminates on mortality a lot with his movies. I think you may have seen one of the other vampire ones that like a get together at one time. He he likes vampires. He likes vampire ladies, especially. And he's into the sadness of the vampire. He's not really into the menace of the vampire. <laughs> I like vampire ladies. Yeah. So this one, you got these two orphan girls and they're blind, but only during the day. Okay. And they're, they're these blind girls. They're taken into this convent and uh, they're just taken care of as these blind girls. The the nuns don't know that at night 
they gain vision and are able to go out and hunt as vampires. All right. You know, they they go out and eat people at night and, and they come mm. back and they're, you know, uh, seem to be innocent girls the rest of the time. Right. They get adopted out by a psychologist and then, you know, they have to adjust to their new living space and they start, uh, uh, you know, finding people to eat and you know, it just uh, turns into a whole thing. You know, living in the city is not working out for them the way it was working, living in the country. Hmm. And they, they have this whole background where they recall that they've lived and died like hundreds of times over the years. They remember previous deaths and uh, they say that the two of them were Aztec goddesses way back in the day. Like one of them believes oh. she was Quetzalcoatl. Quetzalcoatl was kind of a flying snake, though. Yeah, I mean, they've changed form over the years. Oh. Now they're girls. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, yeah, they fall on hard times. There's a part where, like, they just can't get together. They they can't manage to kill anyone. They, there's several times where they just go out in the night and then they encounter some other creature of the night who's just weird and they kind of don't know how to deal with them. And, you know, there's <laughs> I, I sent you the where they meet the Midnight Lady of Paris, which is yes. great. Yes, oh my God, yes. <laughs> and <laughs> there's another one where they run into this lady who's a ghoul. And, you know, they're in the cemetery. Just like, get get, get out of here. Come on. This is, I, I have to eat corpses. That's what I do. You don't eat corpses. And I don't want you to stand around watching me eat. Get out of here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, they, they end up just feeding off of each other, like drinking blood from each other for a bit. And just, they, oh. so they're, they both just have a bunch of blood on them. They're sort of wobbly in the daylight and they're you know it's the point where they're going blind so they go to a liquor store and buy some brandy to put on it and they're just like wandering brandy drunk blind in the streets blood all over them good stuff i liked it a lot this 100 percent sounds like my jam <laughs> i think you would generally like roland quite a bit all right next up hitman heart wrestling with shadows the uh, oh. big documentary about the Montreal screw job, just hundred percent backstage access. Damn, I, I I've been looking, or I've been wondering about, like, the, I I know about the, I wouldn't even say I know the gist of the Montreal screw job <laughs> because I wasn't there, and it sounds complicated as fuck. See, I it's it's very interesting to me, especially because this is right exactly at the point i quit watching wrestling uh, there's this canadian documentary crew who's just hanging out with him for a good six months prior to okay. the montreal screw job because he was doing this thing where he was doing Can canada versus america and uh sort of stoking international conflict because he'd been forced <laughs> to become a heel in because oh, of Stone Cold Steve Austin becoming so popular that they wanted him to do a face turn. Right. Okay. So he's kind of forced into being a heel for the first time in like a, I don't know, 18 year career. He's one of the originals. Like he was there before the WWF. Yeah. Yeah. He was. Yeah. He was there from like the beginning. And, and like, there's the whole family dynasty. You've got Owen Hart. I saw Owen Hart uh, do a tag team match with Yokozuna back in the day myself personally nice uh, i was more of an owen hart fan than a bret hart fan honestly most of the time but anyway 
He's very interesting. He's very insightful. Like it's kind of cool to see him sort of doing an autopsy of what went wrong at right around this point in time that it's where I got out of wrestling myself. So <laughs> it's him looking at all these wrestlers and sort of understanding their bits and uh, looking at sort of what they do with the audience and what they give the audience. And he becomes really disillusioned with the audience. Oh, because, you know, they're they're rooting for the bad guy. They're rooting for Stone Cold Steve Austin, who is just purely a bad guy. He was created to be the baddest guy. I mean, he's. <laughs> but they didn't realize that Vince McMahon, Vince McMahon was an even worse guy. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, he he is one of the worst people. He's pretty bad, and he does completely come off as a real life supervillain in this. I mean, he is. He totally is. So does does this talk about, or or did this get made too early for? Um, does this talk about what happened with Owen Hart? It doesn't, but there is a supplemental documentary that's about 47 minutes that is on that specifically, uh, that's also on the okay. disc. Yeah, all that happened before I started watching. It was, for me, it was uh, the whole Chris Benoit right, thing that right. made me stop. I yeah. was like, mm, I don't feel great about this anymore. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they, they went through a real bad patch around that area. Mm-hmm. The the attitude era was sort of runged with badness. Yeah. Next up, Thunderball. I don't, I don't know if I've seen this or not. I think I have, but I also think I haven't. It's weird. It's got a Tom Jones theme song, and he strikes like Thunderball. It's pretty good. Uh, cool. <laughs> uh, th- this one you may have seen never say never again which is a remake of thunderball right but it still has sean connery but he's old right they, or they, is he old yeah it's 83 i mean he's old ish he's older ish yeah it's a good 20 years later so but he's not like white beard sean connery no not quite i mean he's not far off it that was only a few years later that they because like that's Hunt for Red October, I guess, is probably where he debuted that. Oh, yeah. That's okay. like 89, I want to say. Uh, that's, that's a bit later then. It's like six years. That's not a big gap. Anyway, Thunderball. This is, I think for a very long time, it was the most successful Bond movie and the longest Bond movie. 130 minutes. It feels long. I just saw. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you said it feels that long? It feels kind of long. Uh, (laughs) I've never been a huge fan of Thunderball. Thunderball is like a huge success. It's pretty good story-wise. I mean, it's got all of the same components as the previous couple. Maybe that's kind of the thing. It's all of the same components. It's a little bit bigger, a little bit more expensive, a little bit more bloated. There's stuff that's totally awesome. I mean, this is where you get shark moats. Where you know, uh, where any time you see Connery in the shot and a shark, there's a very obvious piece of glass in between them. Uh, It's definitely a different dude. Any time you see them in the same frame as the shark, I don't work with sharks. Just like he doesn't work with uh, tarantulas in Doctor No. It just it's on a glass pane there too. So this one we have like a proper supervillain. They've 
they're like this one is a they've taken a nuclear device and they're holding cities hostage like we're we're up oh. to that point okay um well, what kind of villain is it that's kind of how i remember the bond movies the villain in this one i mean it is blofeld at the top and then you have uh largo emilio largo who i mean he, there, there's not much to him as a villain really he's just sort of a low level uh specter operative who has a cool boat like a really high-tech boat the disco volante okay that does sound familiar i might have seen this one so it takes place mostly in the bahamas and where the, that's where the they downed the plane and it's like hidden in the crystal clear blue waters and guarded by sharks right right the best part of it there's this giant spear gun battle in uh the last act of the movie where there's just tons of dudes with spear guns and you know uh uh wetsuits just having a huge underwater battle and that rules that sounds amazing yeah but yeah i do find it a bit more of a slog than any of the other connery ones it's always been my least favorite of the bunch okay next up chopping mall chopping mall i've definitely seen this movie hell yeah killer robots uh in a mall we we tend to watch this every halloween don't we or pretty much i mean i certainly I... do i watch this movie a lot it's such a good time <laughs> yeah killer robots uh teenagers getting together to have sex in the mattress store furniture store it, and it's in the yeah. galleria it's part you know same place as fast time same place as phantom of the mall what was the other one we watched? Same place as uh, Commando, I believe. Commando. Oh, um, Slimeball Bolorama, is that one? No, that one's in uh, a, a bowling alley. Okay. Uh, the Galleria. Uh, there was another one we watched that was in the Galleria. I don't know. There's, There's tons of movies. I mean, it's 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 such an iconic it's location. Famous, yeah. This one, I feel, is one of the great ones for it, too. Uh, just it, it makes such great use of it and ah, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, you, you got dick miller in there as the janitor uh, it's, it's it's so good <laughs> i love it and the theme song like it's one of my favorite chuck Cirino or chuck chirino tracks is the his theme music for this yeah um i yeah i i always have a blast watching it but it's <laughs> And I always end up forgetting just enough that it always feels a little new every time. Right. Next up, we've got Fast and Furious 6. I finally watched the next chapter. Oh, so is this... Are, are we still in the good ones? It's pretty good. I thought, it, okay. I thought it was pretty solid. I didn't enjoy it as much as Fast 5. I think there's... Well, Fast 5 was fucking yeah. awesome. I, I feel like... Part of it may just be my own exhaustion with The Rock, but The Rock is really kind of too much in this. It does sort of feel like every time he shows up in the movie, he's like, all right, I'm auditioning to be the main character. What do you guys think, huh? What about this? And everyone's just like, I don't know, man. Maybe you need to just fucking chill out. <laughs> and it says here in my contract that every time I'm not on screen, all the other characters must be asking, where's The Rock? It it feels like he's got very big poochie energy. Uh <laughs> His mini boss is Gina Carano, introduced in this. She is only in this movie, which is kind of fun. I know she won't be coming back. Uh, <laughs> uh, I mean, it, you know, it's it's got some great sequences. There's a part where 
they fight a tank with cars nice. uh, on a divided highway which is a pretty rad sequence there is a part where they're trying to take a they're trying to stop a plane from taking off so they drive a bunch of cars up into it and then they're brawling with the people on the plane and you know ultimately <laughs> uh dom ends up driving his car out of the exploding nose cone of the plane <laughs> it's got some good shit I'm just imagining it right now with him like falling out like that scene where they'd go off the cliff in the fast five. Mm. I love it. Oh, man. Uh, and this one is uh, the the main villain is like an actual supervillain. I think it might even be the same plot as Thunderball. I think he's stolen a nuke and they need oh. to. <laughs> but, you know, The Rock has decided to get his car gang together instead. And, you know, we'll we'll give you amnesty. Yeah. <laughs> and also Letty's involved. So you gotta go get Letty back. Oh, right. Uh the Michelle Rodriguez was Yeah, it? which is uh Vin's or not Vin's, but uh Dom's wife in or yeah, I think she's his wife in the first one. And she dies in one of them and then she undies, I guess. She dies in between yeah, they yeah, she's supposed to have died in four. But they right. they unwrite she yeah they they bring her back for this one she survived we just uh, yeah guess what she's just under the sway of a supervillain uh, Shaw but not Jason Statham oh. Shaw oh. see Jason Statham is the brother of this Shaw and he comes back for revenge so he is introduced in a stinger at the end of this movie killing one of the the main cast in a stinger. <gasps> In a which was pretty wild Dude. i i was kind of i was kind of blown away by that and then that you that's against the rules <laughs> yeah i was like whoa holy shit and uh and it's jason statham as shaw so that's the hobbs and shaw that would later be but so i guess seven or my understanding is seven is going to be uh him going after the gang for revenge right okay yeah all right all right mm-hmm. I do like me some car action. <laughs> next up, Quaylen, also known as The Hereafter. Mm. This is the next Michael J. Murphy one, the first feature-length one, as we were talking about last week. Right. Uh, this one, it's there's this guy. He's set to inherit this huge estate from his granddad, and right, maybe it's his dad, and he hates the guy. He fucking hates him. I sent you the right. clip. It looks like a British community theater version of Mac and Me, the way the grandfather dies. Oh, shoot. I didn't get a chance to look at that. <laughs> Definitely one. watch it because it's fucking hysterical. He's out walking <laughs> him in the wheelchair and suddenly the wheelchair just fucking gets away. <laughs> and it it's rolling down a hill and it cuts to this other lady going, ah! And then it, <laughs> it flies off a cliff and it lands in a lake with the guy and says, splash, splash. It's, it's, it's almost the exact same rhythm. ET thing. Yeah. It feels like it should, I, I, I feel like it's going to pop up and uh, Mac is going to be there. What was he? Yeah. Mac? Yeah. Was it Mac? Yeah, it's Mac. Yeah. It's, that's right. Yeah. I think so. Something like that. Uh, but yeah, uh, it, it was an absolutely bizarre moment. I, I really laughed at it. Uh, but it, they, so the, the old guy dies and it's in his will that he ha- he can't sell the place. Like he, right. he inherits the place, but he can't sell it. And he, if he wants to keep it, he has to live there. 
So he, okay. so he can't sell it and he can't rent it. So is it haunted? Because it sounds like it should be haunted. So someone hoaxes him that it's haunted and there's this whole... It's almost uh, uh, like the death in the family thing where just people keep, keep being killed off until there's not really anyone left to suspect anymore. <laughs> uh, although we, of All course, right. know who's doing it pretty early, like more or less immediately. Okay. Uh, but also, yes, the house is haunted. Oh, yes. Good. <laughs> it has to be. Uh, necessarily. You don't put a stipulation like that for a normal house. No, of course. Last up is Flesh for Frankenstein, which is uh, also known as Andy Warhol's Frankenstein. Oh. Uh, weird movie. This one is interesting because it's... I, I, we were talking a bit about this in, I think, part one, about Frankenstein movies and their resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was thinking about and, this. And adaptability, too. <laughs> yes. So this one, it is... It's It's not that different from traditional frankenstein it's just kind of looking at him through a different lens here we've got udo kier as dr frankenstein Mm -hmm. and he is obsessed with eugenics and he believes in phrenology and he's looking for the perfect serbian specimen uh well going for the serbian's this time it's, okay. it's a serbian thing and he's made he he makes both uh uh frankenstein like a, a lady and a male you know uh two right. different ones and his intention is to have them mate because they're these two big giant people he built out of corpses okay so he wants the it's not enough to just bring them back to life he wants them to have fully functioning reproductive systems to be able to reproduce naturally yeah and also okay he's like fuck life in the pancreas and there's a point where he it, the the intentionally semi-vaginal design to the chest cavity uh stitching on <laughs> the female uh frankenstein monster uh is designed that way specifically so that he can open it up and put his fingers in sometimes and there is a, a part where he does have sex with it this was a 3d movie by the way did i mention that this is <laughs> it's it's all 3d you, you do have a lot of stuff thrust at the camera like shears before they chop someone's head off to make them the head of the frankenstein so the the thing is it's played pretty straight even though it has a lot of farce like a lot of people have very political discussions about exploitation and uh the working class and the bourgeois and everything. Okay. But uh, it's got kind of a a really silly almost a carry on plot where <laughs> they <laughs> they they choose the wrong head for their Frankenstein because they think he's a real hot sexual specimen because they they want to have a really horny Frankenstein to you know have them mate. Right, sure, that makes sense. But it's this whole case of mistaken identity because they get the wrong guy. They think it's uh they they see these prostitutes run screaming out of a room and then this guy is in there and he's like, oh, and he he looks at him through his phrenology lens and he's like, he has the perfect Serbian head. <laughs> But it turns out there had just been a lizard in the room. <laughs> so he, he's just he's not the perfect guy. He's just a guy. Well, it's it, it. The thing is, he's gay. 
He's a closeted oh. gay man <laughs> who is actually really into Joe D'Alessandro, the guy who is uh, the the farmhand who is not at all secretly having sex with uh, Frankenstein's wife slash sister, sister wife. <laughs> okay, okay, this... <laughs> Sounds like there's a lot going on here. It's it's chaotic. There's a whole bunch of stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a real splattery, crazy time. All right. So those are our twelve options for this week. What do you figure? Oh man. Okay. So right now I'm thinking it's between um, two orphan vampires because, of course, mm-hmm. um, the uh, Bret Hart documentary. Mm-hmm uh fast six right frankenstein and maybe chopping mall is on the list (laughs) tough picks there is a a lot of fun stuff this week yeah yes uh i wasn't expecting to be as interested in as many of them as i was Mm -hmm. so So, any questions what do you think uh What's one that I can just, oh man, what's one that I can just get really high and just completely turn my brain off and just be like, yes. Well, I I guess it sort of depends on what sort you're looking for. Because like pure vibes, you'd want to go with Roland with two orphan vampires. If you want something that's uh, kind of crazy in a way that like it is grabbing you and uh, pulling you in all sorts of directions, Flesh for Frankenstein would be the better pick there. Uh, that that one okay. really uh, is going places, uh, and of course, you know, Chopping Mall. You've seen it before, so you yeah, know that I one's mean, a pretty great ride. Yeah, I, I know what I'm getting into there. I would not recommend Fast and Furious Six for that because I honestly found it really choppy and confusing at the start. <laughs> oh, okay. It's it's weirdly disjointed at the beginning, setting up the plot, and I found myself going back. I was like, "What the hell was the Rock talking about? Do I even care?" <laughs> and it, it took me a, a while to get through the start until it finally got into the plot of just cars racing and shit. That was one thing that was great about five. It was the yeah. fifth one, but you didn't have to know anything. You didn't have to worry about missing details because there weren't any. Yeah. And whereas this one, I feel like you got a lot of posturing where every character has to do their thing and the rock has to do his thing. Uh, there was one really funny bit that I, I got to point out where Tyrese shows up and he's looking at the other gang and they all seem to be bizarro versions of the other of their gang. <laughs> and it's especially funny because early on, there's this part where The Rock is coming to see someone in an interrogation room and it kind of looks like it's Vin Diesel from the back. Like he's wearing the <laughs> trademark Dom Toretto black T-shirt and he's bald. And the camera comes around as just some other random dude that we've never seen before. (laughs) I laugh my ass off. (laughs) And that guy is part of the gang. So he was the Bizarro Dom. It's like in the Seinfeld episode where they have the Bizarro gang. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, Right on. Right on. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Well, you know what? I'm going to have to follow my instincts on this when I go with the two orphan vampires. All right. I, it's good. I, I think it's time that we delved into Jean Roland. I'm such a huge fan of his stuff, and I do have pretty much his complete filmography, or pretty significant. Everything that's available, anyways. Uh, and they're all a real specific vibe. Cool. Um, 
I'm looking forward to it. I mean, I was sold basically on that. What it, what was it? The Midnight Lady. Clip <laughs> the Midnight Lady of Paris. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, whatever this is, I'm into it. It's like I fly over the city at midnight. That's what I do. Anyway, you <laughs> girls, you don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so we have uh, eight additions to the stacks. Okay. Uh, first up, it's the last one in the Carlos uh, Tabuada box, something called Poison for the Fairies. Uh, this one is my oh, understanding. Right. It's his most famous film. Uh, this one, it, it seems to be kind of the same as uh, Don't Deliver Us from Evil, sort of the same uh, basic uh, plot category where you have these two schoolgirls. One of them is really rich and one of them is sort of a weird witchy orphan and they you know, start working together in their witchcraft and it gets gradually out of hand. Of course. Next, we got The Godfather Part 2. Oh, I didn't realize that was so uh, close to the top. Oh, yeah. Uh, needs no introduction. You have seen no, it. No, I mean, <laughs> I watched it on my own immediately after watching the first one because I loved it so much. And I like I think this one is at least as good. Yeah, legit. Uh, next up, of course, uh, Santo versus the Infernal Men, the other one that was shot simultaneously with uh, Santo versus the Evil Brain. Cool. Uh, next, The Escapees, which is another genre land film. This one, it seems to be a non-supernaturally based one, which is oh. uncommon for him. <laughs> All right. Two girls, usually, usually got two girls. That's that's kind of right. standard. Uh, two girls, uh, they escape from a mental institution and just meet a bunch of weird people and have misadventures. <laughs> nice. <laughs> sounds, sounds like a good time. All right. Uh, next time, Killing Spree. It's, uh, there's this guy, he comes home and he finds his wife in bed with another man and he goes on a killing spree. <laughs> it's a lo-fi uh, shot on video one, I think, or maybe like a 16 mil. Okay. Uh, from the same guy who directed Truth or Dare, uh, which is the same plot, come to think of it. All right. <laughs> <laughs> guy comes home and he sees his wife in bed with another man, and then he goes on a killing spree. Except in that one, he has this thing where he plays Truth or Dare, and then he he cuts his own face off, and then he's wearing a mask. And I don't even remember. It was really weird. All right. <laughs> uh, next, of course, Furious 7. As I said, uh, Shaw comes for his revenge. Jason Statham. Jason Statham. <laughs> uh, next up, Bloodstream, which is the next Michael J. Murphy one. Uh, this one, it, it, it seems like maybe this is a bit of a personal fantasy because it's uh, an independent filmmaker is screwed by a distributor. So he goes on a massacre frenzy. <laughs> he he oh. films it all as a snuff film. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not read too much into that. I mean, I, every time I've heard about anything behind the scenes of an indie film distribution, uh, someone is getting ripped off. So uh, I, I would not be surprised if that happened to Michael J. Murphy. And that's like, oh, I'll show them. <laughs> and last up is Blood for Dracula, the uh, companion piece to Flesh for Frankenstein. Same director, another uh, Andy Warhol production and uh, Udo Kier this time as Dracula, of course. Cool. He's out to get the virgins. He's looking for oh. the blood of a virgin. I don't know where I can find one these days. <laughs> Took me a second. <laughs> the thing is, uh, in this one, Joe D'Alessandro, you know, the big swinging dick who's uh, 
fucking his wife's sister in Flesh for Frankenstein. In this one, I mean, he just keeps getting to the virgins before him. What's what's Dracula to do? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, what do you figure for our main feature next week? Hmm. <laughs> well, I was thinking it's time once again to uh, return to the world of uh, Shinya Tsukamoto. Ah, so Snake of June. Yes. Now, what is this one even about? A woman is being stalked by a stranger. His stalking turns to blackmail when he sends her copies of photos of her in an embarrassing position. Now Hmm. he controls her, and she has to do anything he says. Anything. Yeah, I bet this is going to be fucked up. My understanding is this this is him kind of doing something in the erotic thriller vein, so sort of riffing on stuff like Basic Instinct. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, it's very blue-toned, you know, as you can kind of see from just uh, the, the basic imagery of it and the blue-toned poster. A lot of rain, a lot of blue, uh, which I think was... Th- that was like the color of death in Tokyo Fist, wasn't it? I believe so. He he does that a lot. Uh, there was a lot of red and gold and white in... Um... What was the last one? Gemini, I think it was. Yes, definitely. And yeah, um, there was blue and gold in Tokyo Fist, and they did each mean something. I think it was sort of what it was at the time. I I believe it was sort of a matter of death and life or inactivity, the activity, the sort of uh, vibrancy of uh, life. More accentuated by a yellow light and the, the blue light is the sort of stasis of the city. I think it was something like that, yeah. So that'll be interesting, this one. Uh, an extremely blue, uh, weird, erotic thriller from 2002, and it's only 77 minutes. Oh? His well, stuff is did. always very compressed. Yeah, I mean, Iron Man was, what, like 50 minutes? I think so, and it is a trip. Oh, man, I'm glad we didn't decide to make that one a double feature. Oh, there was no way. I had seen that movie like a bunch of times before. I knew that's a that is a full feature film. <laughs> 55 minutes but it's feature length oh yeah you, you feel every minute of it and it's great so good oh, I, wanna <laughs> I want to rewatch that actually just you just should for fun one time well you know what what we should do uh since we're doing snake of june maybe we could also take a quick look at his uh debut film his student film uh oh. which is let me see if i can remember exactly which one this is uh, uh, I think the adventure of Denchu Kozo, which is only forty-seven minutes, and I think it's included on the first disc. Sure. So maybe let's also do a run through that one as well as, as maybe sort of an interstitial. We'll talk Snake of June as main feature, and then have a sidebar on Denchu Kozo. I'm up for that. All right. Because that one, it so a teenager discovers an electric pylon growing out of his back and is soon forced to battle cyborg vampires over the future of humanity. Yeah, that sounds like the first thing that Tsukamoto would make. It sounds like a Tsukamoto student film. That sounds like yeah. something would roll into Tetsuo. So yeah, let's do that. We'll uh, do a sidebar on that, but mainly next week, A Snake of June, uh, as well as 
which one was it again? Shoot. Uh, two orphan vampires. <laughs> two orphan vampires. A snake of June and two orphan vampires. Uh, yeah, yeah, that'll those will be fun. Some some interesting viewing. Both I think will be extremely stylized. A, a lot of uh, color filters. There's certainly a lot of them in uh, two orphan vampires. Cool. All right, well, do you have any last thoughts uh, before we close for this week? Yeah, Ma Barker, it's about family. <laughs> and he strikes like thunderbolt.